everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Getting Close with Mike Marbach podcast. I am, as always, your host, Mike Marbach. Uh, thank you for joining me. Thank you for listening. Thank you for the comments on the last podcast, the one with Doogie Horner, comedian Doogie Horner. Um, it was a real good time. Thank you for uh, all the, the kind things that you said about that. There's also people leaving some... Uh, some feedback on the old iTunes. Uh, I have. I am up to five reviews. Actually, not even reviews. Five ratings. That's right, folks. I almost have to go to the other hand to count how many reviews slash ratings I have. Uh, so if you get a second, head over there, say something good, or say nothing at all, but give me five stars. Five stars. What's wrong with that? Really help me chase those podcast leaders. That's never going to happen. I'm never going to catch them, but it's nice to see. It's good for my self-esteem when I go into the iTunes and see those sorts of things. Uh, I asked Doogie to do the Sideshow coming up. Unfortunately, he couldn't do it. Uh, oh, I can plug that. Sideshow coming up. Uh, it is Friday, August 24th at the Arts Parlor. For those that don't know, Sideshow is a comedy showcase that I started a year ago. This coming up is the one-year anniversary, and it is jam-packed with fucking great talent, great acts uh, from beginning to end. Uh, there is the Hate Speech Subcommittee, which has uh, tons of funny-ass people on there. Malone, who has been tearing up the improv scene in Philadelphia. Uh, Iron Lung, that's been doing the same thing for years. Asteroid, Philly, Philly Improv Theater house team that I happen to direct. Uh, Martha Cooney's going to tell some stories. Manny Petty is going to do some sketches. Uh, it's big mix of awesome talent. I probably even forgot some people. I don't know. There's, that, there's a lot of people. There's a lot of acts. I'm sorry if I did. You know what? You're going to have to come to the show Friday, August 24th at the Arts Parlor, 1170 South Broad, to see if I've forgotten anybody. I don't think I did, but if I did, you will find out who then. It is only $5.00. And like I said, there's going to be lots of talent, lots of good shows. You're going to have a good time. And there is a party afterwards so you can hang out. Um, again, I don't think I forgot anybody. Um, you know what I also didn't forget? I didn't forget that I have an announcement to make. Big announcement. The announcement being that this podcast that you are listening to, the Getting Close with Mike Marbach podcast, now has a sponsor. That's right, folks. We're in the big time. The Getting Close podcast is now gone pro. It will be paid for its efforts. Uh, but that's up to you, actually. Uh, the sponsor is... That's my drum roll. Audible.com. That's right, folks. Audible.com. Uh, today's podcast is brought to you by Audible.com. Get a free audiobook download at www.audibletrial.com slash close. That's right. Got my own URL on there now. You can just go on there, and that's how they know. That's how they know that you came from the Getting Close podcast. www.audibletrial.com slash close. G-E-T-T-I-N-C-L-O-S-E. They have over 100,000 titles to choose from. For your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. Anything that probably has a Audible app or uh, something like that uh, can probably play one of their Audible downloads. Uh, it's 
pretty awesome. Uh, for you, the listeners of the Getting Close with Mike Morback podcast, Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service. That is a free audiobook download with the free 30-day trial so you can just check them out. That's pretty awesome. And that's something you're not going to get. You are not going to get that if you just go to the site. That is something special that they're allowing me to offer you at www.audibletrial.com slash getting close. So go in there, check it out for you. It's pretty, 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 pretty good deal. I'm currently going through the Confederacy, Confederacy of Dunces. Uh, and you know what? It's taken me a very long time. It's a, it's a paperback. It was given to me by Luke Field. And I'm going to have to go in there and check. Because if I can get this book read to me, there's a lot better of a chance I'm going to finish it. It's not that I don't like to read. I like to read. I just tend not to. I'm doing other things. Um, and this is for you, for you busy people, for you people with your... Uh, busy lives going to and fro. I don't know you. I don't know your life. Uh, this uh, this is a great service for you. Uh, so go into www.audibletrial.com slash getting close and check it out. Um, to download your free audiobook today, as I said, once more, go to audibletrial.com slash getting close. audibletrial.com slash g-e-t-t-i-n-c-l-o-s-e. There it is, my first commercial. And if they hear it, it could be the last. No, it was fine. Uh, so yeah, go to audibletrial.com slash close and help support the work that I do on this podcast because it is pretty grueling talking to some of these people, uh, especially this next one. I mean, it two hours and 45 minutes talking to Nathan Edmondson, looking at that face for two hours and 45 minutes. Can you believe that? I had to do that for two hours and 45 minutes. Look at that guy. Ugh. My God. What an ugly man. That's not true. He's quite handsome. I can say that, can I? Uh, yeah, so I'm not going to take up too much more of your time because as I said several times, two hours and 45 minutes is the conversation length. So, after you're done, going to www.audibletrial.com slash close, signing up for your free audiobook and 30-day trial to help support this podcast, you can listen to this. Because that's okay. I don't mind if you go away from this for a moment to do that. Because I know you'll come back. Because the conversation with Nathan Edmondson is that good. That good. We talk about a whole lot of stuff. Um, talk about Zalgal. Talk about Rare Bird Show, one of the premier teams for many years in Philadelphia. When I was thinking about moving back, I would search for um, what was happening in Philly, just trying to get an idea of what the improv scene was like. And Rare Bird Show was like it for a good while. They popped up in everything. So. Yeah, Rare Bird Show, Zalgao, Mayor Karen, the audition process, uh, changing casts on both of those uh, Fit House teams, a whole bunch of different things. Uh, his The Haunt 
as as you hear him talk about that he's done for years with the Eastern State Penitentiary people, turning into Dennis Miller again. It's been a couple couple podcasts since I did that, bang. Uh, which is good. It's good that it's been a couple podcasts since I've done that because it's a terrible impression. Um, yeah, that's all uh, I really got to say. I mean, do what you can. It's a long. It's 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 a long podcast. Um, start start it. See if you you know. I challenge you to go all the way through to not stop it and pick it up and come back to it. As I've said with other podcasts, I challenge you. I lay this on the table. Finish it. In one sitting, do it. And if you do, you are a good person. I don't know. I thought I had something better, and then I reached in, and all I had was, you are a good person. I'm sorry. I thought I'd... Ugh. It's late, uh, and I've had a long day. I saw the dark night rises today. Finally. It was amazing. It was so good. I thought it was a, a real good end to the to the trilogy. Uh, it was it was really good. Hey, didn't I just say that I'm not going to take up too much of your time? I'm sorry. I was rambling. All right. With all that said, with all that audible trial.com slash getting close stuff said, here is me getting close with Nathan Edmondson. Well, we are here, and by we I mean I, <laughs> with Nathan Edmondson. Nathan, thank you for uh, for agreeing to do this. Thanks for having with me. me. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Uh, wanted to get it in before you go. Yeah. Which is uh, which is when? We'll get back to this, but... Uh, um, yeah, it's end of August at some point. Oh. I'm not sure of the exact date yet. And Well, there are 31 days in August. I know. Is there 30? I, th- I want to say 31, Maybe but the old I knuckles. Look. 31. 31? Because it falls on a knuckle. <laughs> That's a trick I wasn't taught in elementary no? school. Yeah, when no. you... January, February, March, April, May, June, July. This is where it gets and tricky. And the switch. August. Okay. So 31, 31. Just avoid the thumbs. Oh, yeah. The yeah. index, index right. fingers right together. Yep. I yeah. like it. Uh, yeah, that's... Uh, I don't remember <laughs> when I learned that, but it had to have been pretty young. And I've never forgotten it, and I still use it to this day. No, that's yeah, that's very good. Yeah, because February is easy, except right. for the leap year thing. Right, it's just a matter of remembering when the leap year is, which really isn't too hard because no one ever shuts up about it. Exactly. Especially that's leading right. up to that day. Yeah, constant. We get that extra day. Oh, oh. Yeah. <laughs> All right. You know any leap babies? Leap I, babies? I, I have to say yes because I'm sure I do. Yeah, you just don't know. No, yeah, I just forget who it was. But they definitely made a big deal out of it. Do they celebrate their birthdays? Do they have the option of celebrating the twenty eighth or the first? If I recall, I think they do have the option, and most, or at least the person I remember, the person I don't remember with whom I spoke, I think celebrated on the twenty eighth to keep it in February. Okay, you know, I, other than the getting older every single every year. Yeah. Is that no good? Oh, it's great. I'm just admiring the bottle. Okay. It's a good bottle. Yeah, nice packaging. Uh, other than getting older each year, uh, observing the that p- part of it, I think if I was a leap baby, I would only celebrate the actual birthday on the 29th. That was definitely a topic that came up. There were like five or six at the time. Six maybe at the time. So. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, I would. I would. I just yeah. like every four years, just have one massive birthday, <laughs> one big bash. If everybody wants to buy a gift, and save it for that day, that's fine. Oh, there you go. Um, but that's just that's just me. If I were a leap baby, See, I'm if the type I were person, a leap baby, I, I'm the type of person who lets everyone know my birthday's coming up and then plans about four days of activities. Okay, so over a weekend. Over like a week like or a weekend, Friday, like a th- dinner this night, going yeah. out this night, come over this night. My and people can pick and choose. My plans. Buffet birthday. Yeah, <laughs> whatever you want to come to, it's open. Pick and choose. All right. Uh, I kind of. Go from year to it's it's I play it by ear year to year. It's like whatever I feel. What am I feeling this year? <laughs> yeah. Am I gonna have a big celebration? Is it just gonna have have a drink with a friend? Mm-hmm. Um, this year was a little down, a little low key. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, all right. Uh, well, we are on the getting close podcast. Yeah. So let's start getting, getting close. close. Uh, what's uh. What was life uh, growing up for you like? Uh, pretty broad question. Yeah, it's pretty broad. Uh, yeah, yeah. As far yeah, as sure. uh, as far as family life, mm. talk about your family a little family bit. Family life, brothers, sisters. Yeah, I have an older brother and a younger brother. Scott's my older brother. He's four years older than me. Okay. And my younger brother Ben is six years younger than me. So we we're we we're spread out pretty good. Okay. Um, yeah, my parents. Uh, still together after God, how many years? Over thirty-five years, I guess. Wow. Yeah. Um, no, over thirty-six. It must be like thirty-eight or thirty. Maybe they're hitting forty soon. What? Wow, now I think about it, or have already hit it. <laughs> and it wasn't that. Like, maybe they did already hit it. I don't know. But I grew up in Franklin, Pennsylvania. Okay. Which is like Western Pennsylvania, small town, like six, seven thousand people. Okay. Um, which I love being at the Philly Stadium and seeing, what is it, like 40,000 people in there? The Philly what Stadium? Is, yeah. Talking about Citizens Bank Citizens Park? Citizens Bank. <laughs> yeah, whatever it's called. It's, We're here at the Philly Stadium! <laughs> <laughs> Lucky they call it the Eagle Stadium. Uh, yes. Um, so Citizen Bank Park, was it 40,000 fans? Uh, Ish? Ish, yeah. Ish. I, I think uh, they average, uh, up until recently... Uh, <laughs> forty-five to forty-seven, if okay. I'm not mistaken. So you just so look at a section. You're like in the ballpark, entire, huh? <laughs> I am in the ballpark. My entire hometown is like there, wow. at arm's length. You know. Okay. It's kind of bizarre. Uh, definitely now that the, the you know they just ended their streak of sellouts. Really? Yeah. It was like bad. three and a half years straight of I'm selling out of selling out the stadium. And then they hit the skids on Now they're selling the players. Season. Yeah, and now they're selling the players. <laughs> yeah, and we don't have much at the moment. Mm-hmm. No, that's not true. I mean, everybody knows they're going to be right back in there next year. Oh, yeah, year. definitely. Uh, especially, I was just talking to my roommate about this, uh, that they have their contract ending with Comcast. I don't, know, I don't know if many people are aware of this. I'm definitely not aware of this. This goes into the television rights of, yeah. of, of airing the game. What does a Comcast now Comcast. own everything? Comcast. What does Comcast, Comcast not Comcast know? own everything now? Uh, but their, their uh, contract rights to air for games is okay. going to be ending uh, in 2014 or 15. And the, the reason this is interesting and worth bringing up, people, before you start judging, uh, is because they're going to have their own station. On Comcast, oh. so it's going to be like the Phillies Network. Okay, uh, and that's going to add between the advertising and uh, the different monies involved there. The, the the talking is like billions of dollars wow. to the organization. 
to the or, to, to the, Phillies. the Phillies organization. Yeah. Wow. That's uh, ridiculous. Which is one of the reasons. If Are I'm they going to reinvest that into Philadelphia? Uh, probably the, <laughs> in the same buy, way that they buy do every good player with a walk-off home run. <laughs> and every time Cole Hamels retires the the side in order, they donate a thousand dollars. to uh, a worthwhile cause. Getting close with the Phillies. Yeah. Do you watch a lot of the games on TV? I, I don't watch any on television. Oh, well. But when I'm there, doing fan storming, I watch the innings that I'm present for. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> so you are you are the definition of a fan. Exactly. Yeah. Definitely. If uh, if I'm in I the mean, ballpark I... and there's a game happening. Yeah, I'll watch it. I mean, growing up as a kid, I never watched any baseball. Uh, my father was a Steelers fan, so the Steelers were Steelers and NASCAR. Those were the two sports in my in my household. Right. Um, but you know, my parents were Pirates fans uh, in the '60s, of course, when everyone oh, was a Pirates fan. Yeah. Um, but you know, being in Philly, I'd say what four or five years ago when things got really exciting, that's when I started paying attention, and yeah. you know, I, I enjoy it now. And yeah. Before I didn't give two shits so yeah the same kind of thing happened with me i mean i would watch i've watched the 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 shows i've watched i've seen the shows i've seen the games (laughs) (laughs) oh geez uh i don't even know like every time i have to sing the uh with the seventh inning stretch where it take me out to the ball see i don't even know the lyrics to that song i have to like read along on this on the jumbotron is that what it's called the jumbotron yeah yeah sure it's terrible (laughs) Uh, but yeah, when I grew up, I was watching, I would watch the games every once in a while. My dad would kind of make me. Oh, okay. uh, That was, yeah. that was father son time. Yeah. Uh, he would, he would sit me down, you watch this. Wow. Uh, and he always had a knack for picking a good one to watch. Uh, well, like that's I, good. And, and by good one, I just mean memorable. Yeah. Uh, like he, he was, it was like the seventh inning and he's like, Nolan Ryan's, Nolan Ryan's about to get a six no hitter. You sit oh, okay. down and you yeah. watch this. Well, so then you have that memory, regardless of whether or not you enjoyed it at the right. time. So I've seen Nolan Ryan's sixth, and I'm pretty sure seventh, no hitters. Uh, really? I've seen the That's World. A lot. Yeah, I've seen the World Series, uh, where the earthquake struck Candlestick Park. Uh, oh yeah. So he was like, "You sit down and you watch this." <laughs> and it was like <laughs> the Earth shook. <laughs> What's happening? Yeah. So then I moved away to Chicago. Uh, and I was kind of looking for, and we'll get back to you. That's fine. Uh, <laughs> I enjoy this more. I was kind of looking for some connection to my hometown, Philadelphia. Yeah. And because they didn't have the food out there, so I started cooking up the food. I started making strombolis and pretzels right. myself, which I still make, which are pretty great. Yeah. Uh, and then I also started watching the Phillies, any chance that I got. And then in, this was 2008. Uh, mm-hmm. Then I started, you know, watching more and more and more, and then 2008 comes around, and they're doing amazingly well. Yeah. Uh, and then 2008 was like my dad, like you sit down and you watch this. He died in 2008, by the way. Uh, mm-hmm. He died in August of 2008, and uh, so then as soon as he died, I was like, all right, fine, I'm watching every fucking game that I can. <laughs> I got the the MLB package, yeah. uh, so I could see all the out of market games, and then of course that year they go on. As yeah. an amazing run and win the uh, the World Series. So once again, it was two thousand eight. Yeah. Wow. Yes, it was. It seems so long ago it, because we've trended backwards each and every year. Well, <laughs> it seems long ago, but at the same time, it, I'm surprised it was that long ago, uh, which is a contradiction. But yeah, I don't know. I All remember, right. like, I was working at the Haunt at the time, and I had I had. Uh, staff who were like crying because they couldn't be watching the games like 
so upset against yeah. sneaking their cell phones into the, into work to follow the score and so yeah. forth. I was watching it because uh, I was in Chicago, working overnight at Best Buy. I was working overnight at, during that month. And, okay. Um, we had I had it on all the in, in Best Buy on all the televisions. <laughs> That's perfect. Yeah. I was so actually I, able to stand outside. I walked outside of the prison at Eastern State, um, just as the last pitches were being thrown, and was able to watch across the street and see everything go down in Urban Saloon. Okay. Because they had a big, you know, screen yeah. that you could see. So. Yeah. I was witness. I was witness to the last moment. The, the win. Yeah, him <laughs> coming down, Lidge coming down. Uh, all right, so got a little off track. Uh, <laughs> So your entire town could fit inside the Philly Stadium. Several times. <laughs> Several yeah. times over. Yeah, it was a good place to grow up. I mean, I, I love going back and visiting. Definitely a slower pace type of place. Uh, you're in comedy now. Yeah. Uh, was, do, do you have a funny family? Um, yeah. Funny family. My dad's super goofy. Uh, he would super goofy. Yeah, he's pretty funny. I mean, he he uh, I mean, he's c- c- the kind of funny who where like he'll put on the nose with the glasses and the mustache. <laughs> the Groucho. You know, that, yeah, Groucho that kind of stuff. Um, uh, and there there's some relatives. He's got are, some whoopee cushions laying around. <laughs> oh well, you <laughs> know what? Buzzers. Now that you mention that, I think the the biggest the big, the most laughter in my household was when anyone would like fake a fart noise. Uh, it was guaranteed to have my father howling. So, uh, to this day, I'm, it's a guaranteed, like, you know, home run. Home run. Hey. Joke for Inside hell. the Philly Stadium. Exactly. Um, uh, yeah. But do you have a, do you have a go-to, this is, we're going to really class it up right now. Yeah, yeah. Do you have a go-to fart noise? You know, I haven't done it in a long time, and, uh, but I was a master of it when I was a kid, and it was just the, you know, the oh, two uh, hands yeah, together yeah, technique. Right, sure. You know, heel to heel of the palms and, you know, blow into your, your palms yeah. of your hand. Yeah, that's, that's foul safe. Yeah, that's yeah. foul safe. Um, in college, there was a guy who would always do that. Actually, there was a few guys that would always do it anytime anyone <laughs> bent over. So, but theirs wasn't like like that. It was like... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, the ones that I grew up with were just a loud, like, flapping noise, you know, so... Yeah. Okay. Uh, so, Dad was super goofy... Uh, brother, uh, it was older brother, younger brother? Yeah, I'm the middle child. Uh, four years older and six years younger. So. You think that, because everybody talks about, and by everybody I mean some people, uh, <laughs> talk about, uh, you know, the whole middle child syndrome, looking for attention sort of thing. Is that you? Uh, potentially. I mean, I think I was, a, I was the youngest kid for six years till I was six, so it was just two of us. And then... And my older brother and I were, like, pretty close buddies. Um, and then when Ben was born, I think my older brother Scott and I kind of turned against each other. Um, <laughs> and by that point, Scott was off, you know, raising hell um, with his friends. Yeah. Um, so it was just kind of Ben and I hanging out. So then I was kind of the oldest, in a way. Yeah. Um, and then when I finally left, those two ended up living together at my parents' house for a long time, became, like, best buddies. <laughs> uh but what's great is my, my brothers and I are all really close. That's good. Um, the whole middle child thing, like everyone's, you know, as soon as someone finds out you're the middle child, yeah. then yeah. you'll do anything and they'll be like, yep, middle child, I could tell. Typical middle child <laughs> syndrome. So, 
But I mean, you know, I was when I was younger, I used to always jump around and try and get attention. I guess. Yeah. You know? well, it, it only fun. fits like like you said. It only fits when it fits. Uh, yeah. And even then, it doesn't really fit. Like like. Uh, What's your horoscope? Sibling thing. I'm middle child. Are you? <laughs> I am. <laughs> Uh, typical, <laughs> typical middle uh, child. What's your what's your zodiac sign? Aquarius. Uh, so that is you're in February. No, yeah, are yeah. you February? February eighteenth. Not that I follow any of this stuff. <laughs> um, I have some friends who really follow the zodiac. Sign. I'm a Pisces. All right. Uh, uh, my mom is was very big into that stuff. She still kind of follows it, I think. Yeah. Uh, so I'm March twentieth, which is the last day of the zodiac year. Uh, so they, she says, and uh, other people, I guess, uh, that it's called being on the cusp. So I'm supposed to have oh, aspects yeah. of both. I think I'm pretty close to the cusp. Yeah, you cusper. I think so. Okay, I think it's near that. You know the thing about that that I find fascinating because I love space and like astronauts and yeah. uh, you know any kind of sci-fi stuff. Okay. Um, the only credence that I give it, and I, it's not even any validity, just. Uh, uh, an enjoyment of the idea mm -hmm. that you know the earth is traveling around the sun and all these celestial bodies are moving pulling on each other in some form or fashion and that you know the earth is in a certain place when these people are born I just find that fascinating yeah. you know so if I were to give it anything I would give it the point zero 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 whatever effect yeah. <laughs> to the position of the earth yeah. in the universe at that time you know they added a second to the Earth's time, to Earth time. Uh, a you mean few, like a day or? No, they added like a one. They had just one second. One second, one second for all time. If I'm not mistaken, uh, and I'll have my interns check this out. Mm -hmm. uh, but I remember because Aaron on Asteroid, Aaron Eunice, uh -huh. brought it up because uh, we had our show at uh, Del Close Marathon on the day where they added the second, and it was being added at 11:59. And I think the reason they were adding it is because of the Japanese earthquake. The Japanese earthquake apparently, <laughs> Japanese earthquake apparently shifted some things around, uh, and then slowed the rotation or sped it up. One just of those. Just for a second. Yeah. Just it, for it a second. It shortened the day by. A See, second. that just makes me go. Well, what about every other earthquake that's ever happened? Not worth it. Not worth our time. <laughs> wasn't a, literally. Wasn't, was not as significant. Not at all. Yeah, my, my dad was a, a mechanical engineer, so he's a very you know science-minded kind of guy. You say was. Is he retired now? He is retired. Okay. Um, and uh, the atomic clock. My, if there's one man in the world who has his... He would like listen to the... There's some radio station, I think, mm -hmm. where... Uh, this is pre, like iPhones, obviously, you know, before everything sure. was digitized. Radio station, they're not yeah, around yeah. now. Radio station. <laughs> and at a certain hour, it would just beep. And he had, his, he had his wristwatch set perfectly to, like, whatever the atomic clock time was. Oh, well, uh, atomic clock, that's just, like, the Earth's actual time. I'm thinking doomsday clock in my head, which is the, oh, close, you're, getting closer to we're, an So you're talking about death? No, 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 no. Uh, I, when you said atomic clock, I just got confused. For some reason, I equated that to doomsday clock. Oh, no. Where the scientist, for whatever reason, you know, mm -hmm. Ahmadinejad says something, and they're like, oh, we're moving the hand a little closer <laughs> to doomsday. Oh, yeah, yeah. What was that? Watchmen? Or is that beyond Watchmen? I think that... It, no, it actually exists. Oh, there is a oh, doomsday shit. clock. That's scary. Yeah. You know, there's guys who wanted to build, and they may actually be trying to do it. I read an article about it that I won't recall. 
Um, we'll get my any of the names. Yeah, get, interns. Take notes. Um, okay. Um, they also don't appreciate you giving me. They don't. No. It's like who's this dick? <laughs> um, they want to make. He's gone. They want to make a ten thousand year clock. Have you heard of that? The clock that will function. Didn't the Mayans already make that? A functioning, it an, an actual functioning clock. A ten thousand. That like, it's ten thousand years, and it will, um, like track like at a thousand years, it'll it'll you know ding. <laughs> Every thousand years, it'll ding. I lose interest when someone says they're putting in a time capsule for like five years. Who's really? Gonna, yeah. Who's, See, I think time capsules are awesome. I think they're awesome the day they're opened. Yes, that's true. Uh, but who's waiting around? That's the mentality 10, of a child. <laughs> <laughs> a child like, what, we're burying it? I want to see what's in it now. <laughs> you just filled it up, Jimmy. It's like, the, you know, I think that's uh, a good point. I'm a child. Uh, but it's, it's like, that's, that's the society we live in now. Because well, like, the you whole, take a that's picture. the whole point of the 10,000 year clock is to make us consider 10,000 years. Because right now we think very much like, uh, whatever, we might destroy the world in 200 years or 50, who knows, yeah. you know. But if we start thinking 10,000 years down the line, yeah. it's what not does that problem. do to scope? This happens tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, I don't yeah. know. And that's, yeah, like I was saying, that's, that's, that's true, is because everybody's so, like, right now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess it would help with, with big picture, but that's massive picture. It's, like, really sad. See, that's what, uh, when people That's talk evolution about, of species. Exactly. Scale. That's true. And when people talk about, like, afterlife or all that stuff, the, the only thing that I would desire is to be able to come back every 50 or 100 years and just check out what's going on now. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. I just think, pop in. Yeah, just like, oh, okay. That's okay. what's happening. All right. Still with that kind of music, huh? <laughs> all right. Uh, what about, uh, friends uh growing up were you a pretty social person i was pretty shy actually um yeah pretty shy kid i you know i was always like uh i always one thing i was like i guess i feel lucky about is i always had very close friends i always had like a best friend so yeah. i always had a confidant um i always had someone you know to hang out with um but did you refer to them as at that age? As confidants? As confidants. Usually, yes. Hey, Nathan! Your confidants on the phone! Mom! Jeez! Don't tell everyone! It's private! Um, oh, that's just his confidant. <laughs> Are they boyfriend and girlfriend? No, no. My confidant. Jeez. Um. No, I was pretty shy. Uh, I, I would say, like, when I was, like, young, young, like a kid, I was, you know, I didn't, you know, wasn't sh- super I shy. I just thought of Anyang. Young, young, young. When I was young, young. When I was a Chinese child. Arrested Development. Anyang. <laughs> Anyang. Wait, is it? Re- yeah, Arrested Development. Right? Yeah, Anyang. <laughs> Anyang. Uh, one of the best shows so ever. Well. Yeah. I have to say. Which is coming back. Oh, yeah. They just started filming it's the other day. Netflix, right? They're doing a Netflix season? Yeah. They just started filming the other day. I hope it lives up. I really do. With the exact same cast I don't and the exact hope same it writers, I actually hope it. Lives. Yeah, I really hope that it does. And even if I mean that show was so great that even if it falls a little short, it's, it's totally still going to be awesome. fucking better yeah. than most of what's on television. Absolutely true. Outside of HBO and AMC. <laughs> yeah, because there's some good. Have shit. you seen Luther? On BBC. No. It's a good like cop show. You can check out. 
on Netflix. First two seasons on Netflix. It sounds familiar. Yeah. Okay. Check it out. I will. Um, so, yeah, I was a shy kid, pretty much. I don't know. It's like socially, I was always just kind of too hyper aware of like, I was all, you know, just really sensitive kid and yeah. didn't want anyone's feelings to be hurt, you know? Yeah. And then, you know, I think I hit puberty before everyone else by a, a year or two, <laughs> which kind of made me, uh, you know, really shut down for a while. Um, and I attribute coming out of my shell to my friend, my uh, confidant, oh my God, Darren, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, who I met in eighth grade. Uh, and he's like, you have to stop calling me confidant. Everyone thinks you're weird. Look, we're going from junior high <laughs> to high school. We cannot be confidants anymore. <laughs> We are past the confidant stage. Actually, I don't. I think we're pre-confidant stage. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, <laughs> so yeah. So yeah. I guess I. I've always been. I, was, I definitely consider myself an introvert who developed extroverted yeah. uh, capabilities. Okay. You know. Yeah. Minor superpowers of extrovert. Yeah. I'm gonna. Okay. Uh, what about? Getting into comedy, are you think when you're at this age, are you thinking about that at all? Uh, I started watching stand up, stand up on Comedy Central. Yeah. Do you remember that? Yeah. It was like it comes up. It actually comes up a lot, and the the very few. What is this? The I think the tenth. You are the tenth. Getting close. Okay. Uh, guest. Good. If I'm not mistaken. So there was. Oh, I wasn't crazy to, to What's enjoy that. that. I wasn't crazy to enjoy that. I mean, Comedy Central was awesome. It was in my home where I grew up. It was Channel Thirty Three. So yeah. that was my lucky name, or lucky name, lucky number yeah. for a couple of years. 33 because of that. Yeah, because of Comedy Central. I just loved it so much. Like, uh, Steve, there was a guy, he had like a... Steve Harvey? Yeah. Really? He had a talk show or something? He does like, have a talk show. Wait, is that his name, Steve Harvey? Wait. Was like, Steve Carell? No, it's not Steve Carell. Steve, See, I don't remember anything. Steve from Steve and Evie. I don't know. There was in Mystery Science Theater 3000. So like, stand up, stand up, Mystery Science Theater 3000... Um, you know, Stand Up Stand was just like, it was great because it was just like 30 seconds, like their best little moment where they're like on a run and you would hear yeah. like, you know, you'd just be like dying and they cut, you know, to different comedians and... Yeah. Um, Is that the one where they were all kind of like talking about the same sort of topic? They may have, I can't remember or exactly was that, the uh, exact format. There was something else, like it would be like uh, cigarettes and then it was all these comedians doing their cigarette Maybe, meets. yeah, I don't, I, I don't recall that aspect, I wouldn't... Be confident to say that you wouldn't be confident. I, I wouldn't be confident with that <laughs> statement, one way or the other. Um, also, around that time was uh, playing over and over. Uh, Whose line did that? Well, yeah. Oh God, yeah. Whose line is it anyway? Was huge. The British version. Um, yeah. Loved it. Yeah. Absolutely loved it. And I wanted to be a stand-up. Like me too. That's what I wanted to. Well, I wanted to be an actor, and then I wanted to be a stand-up, and it just scared the bejesus out of me. Yeah. Um, but you know, to, to talk about comedy, like my father, I remember he would, he would play like Bill Cosby albums. Um, so there was like there was humor. I mean, like, you know, like birthdays were fun um, because there was a big ordeal over like and and any like anytime cards were sent, like Hallmark cards, mm -hmm. my entire family always sent uh, you know funny cards. So it was like you know trying to find the funniest card kind of competition. <laughs> Um, it wasn't really a competition. And my, my dad's side of the family, his uh, brother and sister, they're, they're, they're pretty funny people. They're always just like cracking each other up. Yeah. Um, 
so there's a lot of humor there. And on my mom's side, too, like, her, her brothers and sisters and cousins and stuff are, you know, they're, just like, smart, witty people, so. Okay. Uh, so, how then did you get into it? What was your first comedy experience? You're thinking about it, uh, you thought about stand-up, you're watching it on television. At what point do you say, I'm gonna do this? Oh, God. In a sing-songy sort of way. Yeah. Um, let me see. I mean, like... Luckily, in high school, I was able to meet some really funny people and hung out with them. And, you know, you, you just, with your friends, you're always cracking each other up. Yeah. Uh, but I always felt a little, like, behind with the humor. Like, I just wasn't, um, just too shy, yeah. you know, to really just, like, jump on jokes and stuff. Mm -hmm. and, I, and I hung out, but I hung out with some really funny people. By the time I got to college, I had more confidence and... Immediately, my first day of college, I met some guys that were really funny, and I was like, oh, this is going to be great. And then they ended up kind of being assholes. <laughs> um, and a lot of those people ended up joining uh, one, an improv team. Um, a lot of the assholes? Yeah, they weren't assholes. They just rubbed me the wrong way. You know, they, they were the kind of guys who, and this, I was asked to be on a group my, my freshman year, like, you, know, you should audition for this thing, and, you know, you should be on the team. And, um, and they, 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 from my, you know, probably skewed perspective, because I was just like, you know, who knows what, how accurate my perception was at that point. Um, they, they did a lot of comedy that was like at the expense of the other. So it was kind of like trying to one-up each other all the time. Mm -hmm. And it was, it was kind of angry and mean. Yeah. And I, I wasn't into that. There were other troops uh, at, at Oberlin uh, where I went to college. Like, right. There's Primitive Streak and uh, the Sunshine Scouts. Um, by the time... That's where I really kind of committed to acting and started doing theater a lot. Um, I was in acting like level 101 or something, and <clears throat> we did a day of improv. And it's about all you need. <laughs> yeah, and it was, it was basically like, I don't even know what the instruction was. It was just like, make something up for 30 seconds, you know, or something. And, you know, it may even have been three-line scenes now that I think about it, because it was just a simple exchange. Yeah. And when it came back to me, I, like the... the um, room just broke up, you know, laughter, and it was a, I was making a Titanic joke, you know, like, king of the world kind of <laughs> yeah. bullshit. So but, topical, topical yeah. is, your, is your way to go. Okay. <laughs> yeah, um, but, but I, uh, I think I auditioned for every improv team, and was just too scared to join any of them, and I was too busy, I was really busy doing theater, but I was completely intimidated by improv. There's some really talented improvisers at, at Oberlin, and there still are. So, so you, you would audition for them, were you, like, called back or cast? Yeah, and I, just... I, would, I would get cast. <laughs> And you'd say, thanks, but no? Yeah. I mean, a lot of times it was, I, I had, guess. I had, I was doing a lot of plays. Okay. And my, just my acting classes had a lot, it was just, I was overbooked. Um, but it was also, it was a little bit of an excuse too. Um, and then when I uh, graduated and moved to Philly, I wanted to pursue theater and I was like, you know what? I miss doing improv at all there. Like, how stupid was I? Um, and then, you know, I decided to look for improv teams to kind of fill in in between plays. That was the idea is I'll, I'll do some improv and it'll be like the keep, you know, keep things going, uh, between projects. And as soon as Robert bird show happened, I just stopped doing theater for four years and just did improv and that was it. Yeah. Which so. brings me to, uh, my next thing. Uh, so you moved to Philly from, uh, right after college, which yeah. is Oberlin. Where's Oberlin? It's in Ohio. It's near okay. Cleveland. All right, uh, so you come to Philly, 
You're looking to get involved with uh, improv. What is happening in Philly at that point? Around what year is this first? Uh, 2002 is when I moved to Philly. 2003, I guess, was when I started. Uh, that's when Rare Bird Show started in the summer of 2003. 2003, wow. Yeah. Uh, so what in 2003? Because I know that in 2006 there wasn't much. Yeah. What um, in 2003 was happening in Philly right. improv? The wow. first show that I saw was in 2002, I think, and it was uh, Comedy Sports. Okay. And it was awesome. Yeah. Um, I actually remember seeing, you know, some of the, like, recall some of the players, you know, that still do it. <laughs> yeah. Um, that were there then. Um, and I, so, you know, I auditioned for a group. That's where I met Matt. And then he invited me to do Rare Bird Show with, after he had met Alexis and, and Chris Conklin. What group were you, what group was auditioning? Uh, it ended up not happening. It was, it was like a, the guy was trying to do like an improv drama kind of thing. Oh, I think Kristen was talking about this. Yeah? Yeah. Maybe. I can't remember what it was. I don't, I don't know. I mean, it, it was an audition, and then I heard, not, like, you know, I got a phone call and a message that was like, oh, right now I'm not going to be working on this project, you know, like, mm. not enough people or something. And yeah. then, I think it was like five or six months later, I heard from Matt. He called me out of the blue and was like, come out to Haverford? I guess it was Haverford. And let's do a rehearsal, and that was a bird show, but... So, you know, rehearsing with Rare Bird Show, Matt was, Matt was really, you know, he wanted to do improv. You know, he was very already, like, scoping the scene. So through him and Alexis's efforts, I, you know, found out that there was, like, the Cabal was here and Lunch Lady Doris yeah. and maybe something else, but I don't, I don't really remember. Okay. That, it was, like... Ninjas, were, maybe? Was Ninjas around? The Ninjas came maybe a year or two, three years later. Okay. Maybe, like, two years later. But, um, yeah, it was, like, th maybe three long-form troops in, like, comedy sports. That's so weird to think about. That barely, like, the long-form troops never performed. Like, it was, you know, <laughs> very rare. And then, but there was, like, a lot of activity, you know, I guess on college campuses right. at Haverford, there was the group Alexis had been in. And, right. you know, our first workshops came through just being friends with the Haverford troops. And, you know, our first workshops were, like, UCB, the tour touring group came down. I think it was Dillinger came down and did a workshop, and we snuck in on that, so... Uh, that you took. Yeah, we like. Okay. Yeah, we just took the. I think we. I think. I think we arranged to have like private instruction, at least once. Maybe we did it twice. I can't recall. Um, with you know one or two UCB people. So. Okay. Uh, so, then you're you're you started doing Rare Bird Show. Yeah. With Matt, Matt and Alexis. Yeah. Matt, Matt Holmes and Alexis Simpson. Mm -hmm. uh, and Chris Conklin was our fourth for. Oh, that's right. There yeah, was a fourth. There was a fourth. For a year, and after six months, he went to France with his fiance, mm -hmm. and then he came back and was like, oh, "I'm getting married and moving to North Carolina." So, yeah. <laughs> but bye bye. Yeah, bye bye. Bye bye. Uh, okay, so you, we got Rare Bird Show going mm -hmm. along with uh, a handful of other groups yeah, in town. Just a few. Uh, where and when are you doing shows? Um. I think we waited at least six months before we did a show. We did a show at Haverford. Okay. Um, and then I think we waited another six months before we did a show. Um, where did we do shows? We did a show at, was it the Arts Bank? Arts Parlor? Arts, not the Arts Parlor. Arts Garage? It was like the... Art Museum? <laughs> the Art Museum. It was at the Art Museum <laughs> on the steps. Uh, right on uh, South and Broad Street, there's that... Uh, 
affiliated with one of the schools in town. I don't know, whatever. Yeah. We ended up doing... Interns. Uh, we decided to do Fringe eventually. Um, and we did some shows for Fringe and uh, the Ethical Society. I guess we did a couple shows there. Okay. And we did a lot of crappy bar gigs. Like, I think one of our first shows was a coffee house. We did a coffee house in some suburb. Um, okay. Yeah. And, yeah, and we just did shows like that that were like you know, in a bar or something really low-key that we would set up or fringe. Um, yeah, just kind of floating around doing that. Okay. Uh, and so you started in 2003, you said? Yeah. So that is... That's a long time. It's like nine years. Yeah, that's that's a while for yeah. an improv team. That's a while for anything. That's a while for a marriage. Yeah, it is. Uh, now, it's, it's uh, taken a bit of a backseat over the last few years now that... Uh, Alexis has gone to LA, mm-hmm. and even I think uh, in my time while I was here, it wasn't. It wasn't. It was never. Was it ever like a weekly thing, or was it always uh, just it like was, when we can? I would say for the first four years, um, we rehearsed every week, um, with very few uh, misses. Yeah, uh, and then after that, we kind of you know see. I guess for me, I would do plays here and there, so I would be out for a month or two. Mm-hmm. Uh, here and there for shows and stuff. Um, but I'd say after like four or five years, uh, we started just branching out and doing other projects um, a little bit. I don't know the time scale. Alexis did the internship at uh, the Arden Theater, so that kind of took her out for a while. Yeah. And we just started, yeah, we started branching out a little bit. Alexis started doing other improv and stuff, and then she be, you know, started joining up and doing more fit stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so it kind of, you know, rehearsals definitely fell off, and we were doing like maybe a rehearsal a month, you know, and rehearsals ended up dropping pretty hardcore. Um, but we were still doing shows, and we were like, you know, by that point we were doing a lot of festivals and then teaching at colleges and mm-hmm. stuff like that. So we stayed active, but, and then it just kind of tailed off a little bit, and then uh, when she moved, it, that was pretty much the halting besides, you know, we would, I think we do like on average two shows a year now. So, yeah, with uh, little to no rehearsal, right? Yeah, we basically haven't. I, I met with when uh, we did the show with uh, Maggie Keegan. Uh, it was Matt's and I first rehearsal since our last rehearsal with Alexis. <laughs> so it's been like two or three years, I think. Wow. And yeah. uh, what was great about it is like you know we were we were kind of you know trying to catch her up to like this is how we do it, but getting to there it kind of was like this is our evolution of our theories of improv. So we were just like kind of giving her like a private workshop <laughs> of the Rare Bird Show style and just like our history. Yeah. Um, and it was great because Matt's been doing improv, I've been doing improv, and we both kind of developed our ideas in the same you know place, uh, but talk about things differently. Yeah. So half the time there was just us going like, oh, you do it that way, I do it this way. Oh, that'd be good. You know, just kind of like yeah. catching up and sharing ideas, which was really fun. Okay. So. Uh, a couple quick follow-ups, mm-hmm. if I may. Uh, talking about Rare Bird Show, how you do it. Uh, if you could, could, could you summarize the Rare Bird Show style? Like how, if, if someone was joining in, like when, when Maggie kind of popped in, yeah, and she's like, okay, so what's your thing? What do you say? <laughs> I mean, it took like an hour for us to go through the history <laughs> of Rare Bird Show. I'll try to condense it. I mean, it was just basically like, we started off doing... Uh, just 
freeform montage. Do a sure. scene and just go from there. Okay. You know, whatever happens, you know, just edit and keep going. Um, and just doing that kind of style, we notice that things just automatically come back. Mm -hmm. And connections happen that we wouldn't even be aware of, right? right. Um, and then we'd, we would diagram all of our all of our rehearsal performances and all of our shows. Okay. We'd diagram them and like find all these, oh, that relates to this and that. So just like analyzing our shows was good. Uh, and then we realized we were doing like 17 minute shows. <laughs> like yeah. they were really short. They were really fast and furious, but we weren't getting to what we learned was like a third beat. Uh, so we started doing a Herald for about a year and all we did, <clears throat> all of our performances were Heralds for a year. And from that we learned, you know, about breaking things up with group games. We played around with uh, openings. Um, we did that for a year and it really just kind of ingrained that pattern of like looking for the callbacks more consciously um, and furthering those beats, you know, each, 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 each beat, you know, furthering the ideas that you've created in the first beat um, and evolving them. And after we did that for a year, we kind of abandoned it and just went back to the freeform style. Um, but we then we kind of found that it's good to start off with just three solid scenes. Mm -hmm. You know, just start off with start off with a herald and just kind of whatever happens happens. Um, mm -hmm. But the the latter part of that statement was really our approach. Like, you know, if we're starting a show and it's, you know, we're doing a lot of monologues. Like, use that. Just kind of repeat what what we're you know doing. Double down on what you have. So, yeah. um, you know, certain shows would be. They would feel a lot different than other shows, you know. But we, we tended to play fast and kind of, I think one comment that kind of summed us up a little bit is like, you guys go to crazy town like right away, but you keep it grounded so it doesn't feel lost and, you know, whatever. So. Yeah. Uh, when, I was, when I was in Chicago and I was thinking about moving back to Philly, mm -hmm. uh, I made sure that I wanted to get involved. I, I knew that I wanted to get involved with improv uh, yeah. if I was moving back here because I was out there doing it and you know doing well <laughs> yeah. uh, for what it was and anytime I would this is me typing by the way <laughs> I'm just waving my hands anytime I would look up Philly Improv because yeah. I was researching the the scene so to speak and uh, Rare Bird Show would pop up all the time yeah. it was like one of three things even at that time and this is 2009 yeah uh, now you type Philly Improv in just those three or so years and a whole bunch of shit pops up. Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, but that allowed me to find a person to write to. Uh, a couple people. I wrote to Greg. Mm -hmm. I wrote to Matt Holmes. Uh, and I talked with Matt Holmes and Greg over the course, a bunch of times over the course of a year before actually moving yeah. back. Just kind of researching and asking questions. And, yeah. Uh, but, uh, and then when I got here, I, uh, I saw... A Rare Bird show, show, uh -huh. Rare Bird show, show, and it was like nothing I'd seen before because of how long you guys had performed, not in terms uh -huh. of history, but yeah. in terms of length of time on stage. Uh -huh. uh, I was used to 22 to 25 minutes, unless it was a sketch show, Yeah, nothing went longer outside of TJ and Dave, right? who went 45. You guys would go 45 to an hour. During Fringe, when I was watching. Just us? Yeah, just you guys. Huh. It was about 45 minutes. Do you remember where, what Fringe venue we were at? Uh, Adrian Main Stage, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, you know, that may have been the era of us just, like, bantering at the top of the show. That was a, there was banter at the top Which, of the like, show. Which, like, oh, God. 
banter. Like I think Alexis and I did a show once because we ended up doing duos for a while. You know, there's three of us, so like if someone couldn't make it, we were like, well, let's still do the show. You know. Yeah. So it was great because we you know learned how to do duos and Alexis and I did a duo and we just kind of you know started bantering at the top of the show and we did it so succinctly and well that we were like we should always banter at the top of shows and then it like turned in this really disturbing like 10 minute like yeah. terrible thing that would kind of undermine our confidence by the time we'd actually start the show yeah. at times um, so you might have like shown up in the era of us like just about to be like we need to stop bantering you know yeah because um, it you know it just kind of can get distracting but mm-hmm. I think with the fringe shows at that point we were also yeah, I mean, we 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 never wanted to ever go over thirty, like. And Adrian's a weird space because, um, and like the best shows I think are like twenty to twenty five, just fast and furious, you know. Yeah. Um. But time, like getting, you know, having so that's the other thing about Philly is like, getting someone who can do a, a solid blackout. It was you know always a thing, <laughs> you know. Um, you know, having a space where you could see a clock or have a clock or, you know, so you're not looking at your watch and, you know, trying to, trying to gauge. One of our earliest friend shows, and this woman I work with who used to do it probably like 10, 15 years ago, um, she saw this friend show, which was the friend show that, uh, made us realize that things just, you just, if the show is going down the tubes, you just end it. We, we were in the ethical society. (laughs) And we had, <laughs> we had our, our, we had our final scene, it happened, it was great, and everybody clapped, and then a new scene started. And we were at a point where we were all just kind of like, the show will end when, you know, like, I don't want to cut you off, kind of stuff. We were all being so polite. And the show went, and it was also in the middle of, you know, it's like the end of the summer, so it's like, it was just so hot. Yeah. Uh, it was like sweltering in the basement of the Ethical Society, and we went probably 15 to 20 minutes longer than we should have. Yeah. And this woman who saw that show, who I actually talked to like two years ago about this, she was like, you know, I almost stood up and like called your show for you. <laughs> I was like, that would have been a blessing because we walked off stage and just felt like refunding people's money. That's another thing that uh, I hadn't seen until I came to Philly is people ending their own shows. Oh, really? On stage, yeah. Yeah, I think, I think that's just a symptom of like, you know, a lot of the venues we would perform in, there wasn't a, anything that you could pull lights for yeah unless you like blacked out the entire space like, yeah completely and yeah. then you're like your windows and you can still see stuff yeah or whatever because you're in a bar or whatever yep. so and and you know even when we were offered the chance of having a blackout sometimes people wouldn't yeah black you out in time and we were like well that's never happening yeah again we're just gonna call our own show yeah so that's why when i took over the uh uh parlor to start doing side shows mm-hmm. flipped it around for the well i mean it had the advantage of kind of making the, the stage area a little more intimate. Yeah. Uh, but also, uh, it allowed me or whoever's on lights to kind of, you know, even though there's like six switches. Right. Uh, it's like, <laughs> yeah, you can just, you can black people, you can black it out. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You, you mentioned a couple things I want to kind of touch on. Right. Uh, that you, you do, you, Rare Bird Show is a three person show. Yeah. When it's Rare Bird Show. Right. Uh, and then you also mentioned that you were doing duos at the time, and that's just, I guess, because people were not. Yeah, we didn't want to turn out shows. We all just wanted to perform. So. Right. Uh, so, what do you, what do you see as the difference between doing a three-person show, doing a two-person show, and doing, say, something on Zalgao or any other larger team? Yeah. Um, how, how would you play differently on either of those? 
Well, the three-person show is great because you do get a break, and you get to watch what's happening on stage. But the thing is, Alexis, Matt, and I, we all just love being on stage so much <laughs> that we were given ample stage time. Yeah. And we would hear about, you know, we'd see troops that had like, you know, five, six, seven, eight, nine, and more people and just be like, how do they deal with it? You know, and you see people standing on the back line. And, and then as, a, as an audience member, I would get nerve, like anxious, like that person needs to go out. They've been standing there for so long. They just yeah. need to get into a scene. And you can see them sweating, being like, I need to get into a scene, you know? Yeah. <laughs> um, so with, with a three-person show, you really don't have that opportunity. You're in the audience, like... <laughs> yeah. Get in there. Yeah. I know, dude. <laughs> um, yeah, it's terrible. Uh, so a three-person show, you just always have to be ready. Yeah. But you get a break. Um, you know, you still end up with moments where, like, the, the only thing is sometimes you end up with those moments where, wow, I've done enough. Like, I've, I've been in here for a while, and you step to the side just as everyone else had that thought. Yeah. <laughs> and then you get that lull moment of, like, oh, okay, now we need to start another scene. Yeah. What's great about a two-person show is there's no break, right? Unless you decide to give yourself a break, and and when you do that, you know you're putting it on your scene partner to like yeah. hold it. So it's, you have to be, you know, very conscious of what you're doing there. Um, and then that's you know, I mean, it's one of those with both the two and three person show. It's like you're given more responsibility, which can, or you're given more stage time, so you have the opportunity to like get lost, to get lost and just turn yourself over to the show and be carried by the show, which is great, yeah. um, when it's going well. Right. When it starts <laughs> yeah. to go poorly, then you just feel the weight of that yeah. responsibility. Um, with larger groups, uh, I mean, it's, it's, I, I feel like for me, it's actually been pretty uh, awkward transitioning into larger groups since then, mm -hmm. because you know I'm ready to go in all the time, and I hold myself back. And then there's that line of like, are you holding, you know, do you hold yourself back too much, yeah. you know, or, or not. So I, I tend to err by like, I'm so aware of who has been on stage and hasn't that I'm trying to give equal time and just kind of holding the back line a little bit too much. So, uh, do you ever sort of, you're like, I was in the last show way too much. <laughs> the next show, do I, I'm going to hang uh, back a little bit. Yeah, I guess so. I mean... I think also, because, you know, I've done, like, I've been, do I started doing Zao Gao because I was, Rare Bird show ended, and, mm -hmm. you know, I did some duos, started doing duos with Nick Gillette and Steve uh, Kleinedler, and yep. the duos were great, um, but I was like, you know, I, wanted, I, I needed to be on a team, because it was about a year where I really wasn't doing hardly any improv, mm -hmm. um, performance-wise, I was directing and teaching and stuff, yeah. um, so Zao Gao came along, that was great, um, and I think at a certain point, you're just, but I've also done, like, you know, pickup groups or like, you know, you know, all-star teams at festivals where you're thrown in. And I find with bigger groups, it's best. It's great when you have a whole bunch of confident people. Yeah. So you just like, people are always going in and you don't even have to think about that. Um, but I think the bottom line is like, you're always just looking to see how, how you can add something if you have something that you think is funny and trying to entertain the audience. So like, whatever happened in the last show, like that may be a thought of like, I was in a lot or I, or I wasn't, and I want to put myself in more, but, right. um, yeah, you're, you're really balancing, like, the, the feelings of your scene partners, because you don't want to railroad stuff. Yeah. That can be pretty bad. Um, but you do want to make sure it's entertaining for the audience. So, mm -hmm. finding your moments, I think, is really important. Yeah. So. Uh, what about, uh, and you talked about you and, and Matt Holmes, 
Holmes. 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 Uh, kind of differing uh, a bit, coming from different points sometimes of improv philosophy. How would you, or looking at things a little differently, Yeah. Uh, how would you summarize your own improv philosophy? Oh God, I don't know. I was, I don't know really. Um, I tend to just steal everyone's ideas. <laughs> okay. Uh, now when you were doing... <laughs> no, I think like, oh God, I don't... I should probably figure out how I would sum things up. It's for me, it's like, you know, with a show, um, when you're doing a show, like you want variety. Yeah. And that's on every level. You know, you want it to be fresh. And you kind of want the show to like have momentum. So, uh, you know, stage picture needs variety. Like the kind of characters that you're doing needs to, there needs to be variety, variety there. Like the lengths of scenes, there needs to be variety. So mm -hmm. like, you know, comedy is really about surprising your audience, you know, like yeah. give them that thing to expect. You know, you want to set them up so they're, they're clear about what's going to happen. Yeah. But the real comedy is when you can surprise them within that, you know? Yeah. Um, but I, you know, I think like, um, you know, we didn't really have, we, I, our training was through workshops that we would take from, um, you know, at festivals we would go at, go to. We never, you know, did like any formal, you know, levels at certain places. And I know I've done some classes since, the, you know, like that since then. And I know Alexis has, but, um, you know, I, we would like, you know, my first workshop, I think was with Joe Bernard. And it was on character work. And I was mm -hmm. like, oh, oh, okay. So for, you know, the year after that, all I did was like focus on, moving from a character yeah and it improved my improv tremendously you know and then at some point we, we were like what's this thing called game we keep hearing about <laughs> you know and we had no idea what that was uh and then we kind of determined what it was ourselves um just you know for us it was you know you're watching a scene you see something happening that's kind of based on this dynamic between the two people on stage and then we would play what, you know, what is called or what we would call finding the game mm -hmm. and jumping in and, you know, heightening it, you know, heightening is a big thing, whether you height up, heighten up or down inversely. Um, <clears throat> and, uh, you know, switching it up, changing the context of the scene, you know, um, and that, that was a skill we just really focused on developed. Um, so that's really important, but if it becomes... Like, when we would have bad shows, we would be like, oh, we didn't have any... We weren't playing games with each other. We didn't decide what the, sh the scene was about. Um, so I think it's definitely an important aspect, but I hate, you know, when it's just that. Yeah. Because, you know, coming from an acting background and, like, really just appreciating the nuances of scene work um, and character work and relationships, like, that's so important. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you're aware... I do this... And hopefully none of them are listening because it'll ruin my <laughs> ruin my bit. Uh, but I do this thing at the beginning of every class that yeah. I teach, uh, which is uh, I you know I'll say a whole bunch of stuff and I'll say who here's an actor, <laughs> and then there'll be like one or two people yeah. raise their hand and then I'll say again who here's an actor, who here and I'll just keep on yeah. saying it until everybody raises right, their hand. Right. You know that's right, bitches. <laughs> You're all actors because that's yeah. one of the things that annoys me about improv is that it's not looked at. Right. As, as that and I think that's a massive part of it when you can have I think the best improvisers are the ones who have acting ability yeah uh, who not necessarily can like cry on, on cue right right uh, but uh, emotion and and, uh, right. and reaction are huge in that 
Uh, well, improv is weird as it, like acting can get so serious, you know, mm-hmm. and, and it and it can, can and it can pull you completely away from the comedy. Yeah. Um. So it's, I think, one thing I've been noticing about Mayor Karen. I don't know if I'm just, I don't know, just thinking about it more recently, but just noticing that they're all they're all acting really well now, and it seems like they're getting better at that. They're comfortable enough with their comedy and like, you know, not worried about the funny that they're trying to, you know, just yeah. investing more in the, the acting, yeah. which has been really great to see them develop that way. Um, but yeah, when there's no acting, you kind of lose, and it's weird with improv because it's like, you know, it's comedy, so something th- things get hammy and like, you know, over the top, which mm-hmm. it has its place, and just finding that balance, it's really difficult to find yeah. a balance between all of those things. Yeah. So. Well, how do you, how do you find a balance? Is it somebody, I mean, I guess there's, there's various ways. Uh, you can do it from you know, scene to scene. You yeah. can do it one person entering the scene because I think that's what, excuse me, uh, makes makes things work a lot of times because you can have that crazy town scene. Like mm-hmm. we talked about Rare Bird Show yeah. going to crazy town right away. Right, right, But right. doing it in a grounded sort of way. Uh, and I think that's what will make it work a lot of times yeah. is that uh, you have a crazy town scene and then maybe one character, oh, it, it could only be one character sometimes that enters the scene and just like, makes it makes it relatable to the audience in some mm-hmm. way. Yeah, I mean that's definitely that's definitely a way. I mean I think um you know, you have like three gargoyles on stage, you know. It I think it's a combination of like committing to your character. Mm-hmm. If you don't commit, yeah. You know, even if you're like you're crouched and you're snarling, you have to commit. Yeah. Um and if you start to pull away from that or drop it, then you know you lost your acting. You know, yeah. like, yep. there's, like, levels of, like, intensity, you know, the scale, put it on a scale of 1 to 10. Like, you're at a 10. If you start to pull away from that and you end up at a 2, like, the audience is going to be disappointed. Yeah. You can stay at a 10 um, and just be, like, kind of surprised you started there, yeah. um, which is fine. But then, you know, it like, I think then things need to matter. Um, and as soon as, you know, you get that teacher who tells you to react to things, no matter what it is, and you realize that, oh, shit, I just have to react and I can make anything important. Yeah. You just have to raise the stakes and make things important and make them affect you. Okay. Like true acting is, you know, I think just being affected and being willing to be vulnerable like that in front of an audience yeah. and in front of your scene partner, yeah. you know? Um, and if you can like handle those things and then be like, let your comedy brain work within that and find the funny, you know, then it's all kind of, you know, you're working on all cylinders then. Yeah. What do you think causes people to they come into a scene and they are at a 10, committed yeah. to the character, you know, balls to the wall, whatever the hell happens, <laughs> yeah. this is me and this is what you're going to get. Right. Uh, and then 30 seconds into the scene, right, right. Uh, it's a 9, an 8, yeah. a 7, a 6. What do you think causes that? Uh, it's, I, I mean, I think Alexis would say it's always fear, you know. Um, but another, like, to break it down, I would say... You start to you start to doubt yourself, you know, or you, you're not supported by your scene partner. They start calling you out with their like improv, their subtle improv. Perf- you know, the 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 person on stage starts to bleed through the character yeah. of the, what they're playing, and like, you know, that's where you hear lines like, "You're not supporting my decision." You know, yeah. like, "Oh yeah, that's the improviser saying that." Yeah. Um, but also, then you also run the risk of like, the logic of the scene. I think I think the logic of the scene is so important. You know, if you establish something, because um, that's, that's, if you're playing something crazy, 
the audience needs logic. Mm -hmm. So you can establish that logic any way you want, but as soon as you break what you've established, they're just like, what? Yeah. You know, and if you, if you find yourself doing that and you, and then it doesn't even need to be contradiction because then you can just be a character who contradicts himself constantly. Mm -hmm. Right. But if you establish this and establish that and, you know, break the logic, um, then everything just kind of deflates, you know? Yeah. And, and, uh, you know, that just makes me think about like the mistakes in scenes, you know, that could be a break in logic and can be a beautiful thing, you know, but, yeah. um, in general, like you just gotta, you gotta commit to all that stuff. So yeah. that's, I mean, it's fear really. Okay. And, and lack of support from your, your teammates. Yeah, I would agree with that. So. And it, it came back to, cause I keep notes here as people mm -hmm. talk. Uh, and there's a, I think it was Matt Holmes of yeah. Rare Bird Show fame, uh, who brought up, uh, he likes to post things once in a while to get people chit-chatting. <laughs> he does. He's, uh, the, he's like an architect. Yeah. He's like a Philly architect yeah. of Philly he is, comedy. Though. Seriously, he, he is. He absolutely yeah. is. And I've mentioned that before on, I mentioned that before on the podcast. <laughs> uh, when, I was, when I was looking to move here, yeah. his name would pop up. And when I talked to different people, it's like, oh, well, I got introduced to so-and-so by Matt Holmes. Yeah. He's, he's, he, he's like I behind the scenes words. Did that, you? That he is, he's like the architect of the Matrix. <laughs> yes, yeah. yeah. Uh, well, he, uh, he likes to post on the Philly Comedy Network, uh, to get people chit-chatting, and one of the things he posted recently was about the fourth wall, uh, break going meta, which another term I hadn't really heard about until I came to Philly. Really? Yeah. Okay. Uh, well, it was just called breaking the fourth wall. It wasn't called going meta. See, I don't, uh, I don't think that's, I, you know, I don't think it's Philly that brought that up, going meta. Well, maybe, maybe, I don't, I don't fucking know. It's no. beside the point. Yeah, regardless. Uh, <laughs> Irregardless, which is not a word, by the way. Uh, he brought up uh, breaking the fourth wall, what are people's thoughts on it, and then you just brought up kind of calling people out. Now, yeah. I had a talk with Asteroid the other night uh -huh. where I feel like what you had said, where it's like the improviser bleeding through. Yeah. When they're calling things out, to me, that's breaking the fourth wall. Right. Like if someone makes a mistake in a scene and someone calls it out, boom. Fourth wall's broken because right. I'm now the improviser commenting on right, what's happened. Right, right, right. Like someone says, "Oh, we're going to open up this hamburger shop," and rather than saying hamburger, they say yeah. hamburger. Yeah. Uh, and then I, as an improviser, say, "Whoa, uh, what the fuck is a hamburger?" Right. Uh, that's recognizing as an improviser. First of all, recognizing as the character of it of a of the scene. Yeah. That a mistake has been made or that I don't know something, which right. is something in a problem I'm, I like to think, like, just pretend. Pretend yeah. you know what the, <laughs> yeah. pretend you know. Pretend uh, that you know. And then as an improviser, it's kind of pulling the rug out from the scene, yeah. uh, calling out your scene partner for misspeaking. Right. Uh, and then, okay, assuming they even misspoke. Right. First of right. all. Mm -hmm. Maybe they didn't misspeak. Yeah, maybe that's maybe exactly that's the what they meant. Talk. Yeah. Uh, and I feel like. Yeah, it's going for that laugh, going for that one laugh that the audience, because the audience hears it. So you, you you feel like when you're doing that, you're the voice of the audience at that point. They heard it. I should yeah. I should call this out. But well, to me, yeah. it's much more uh, fun to hear it, accept it, and now that's what's right in that world. Right. We're we're not opening a hamburger shop. We're open. Op we're opening. <laughs> we're opening up a hamburger shop yeah now every time i say that word it's going to get a laugh so that right. to me that honors the offer mm -hmm. from the scene partner 
it honors the audience because I know they know that I heard it and I'm not ignoring it. Right. Uh, so it's much more improv, in in my opinion. Mm-hmm. What are your thoughts on all that? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think you're right. I think like for the person who calls it out, knowing that the audience heard it, they're kind of they're they're working from a place of fear, being like, if I don't call this out, they're gonna think I missed it. Right. Um, so then you have two choices. You can play along, which is what you should do, and you know, call it a hamburger as well, <laughs> um, and then satisfy the audience that way, and play and you know play. It's playfulness. You then you're playing, or you work from the fear and go like, oh well, that's I'm just you know it's it's really just the fear of the player really yeah. that gets in the way there. I think. Yep. Um, however, and it's and it's more complicated to commit to being hamburger because then you're like throwing yourself into the uncomfortable place of yeah. like well what's next yeah you know what's the yeah. how do i heighten that oh god what's the next word i need to mess up and then people will like stutter and start doing a whole bunch of playing with too many words to right, mess right, up right right and just like push the game too fast you know yep. um when really they can just play around in that world for a while with that one word and you know have a normal conversation and then hit it again you know um and then find the nice twist to the next variation mm-hmm. Uh, but I think, you know, like breaking the fourth wall or, um, going meta, like, I think, I I think, I think when it's done in a spirit of playfulness and not out of fear, it works. Um, and then you get into the whole idea of, is it over the audience's head or not? I don't, you know, that's, you know, that's a whole other thing you can analyze to death, I guess. But, you know, sometimes someone will do something and... Uh, you know, the scene partner will will point it out, but it's it's really out of playfulness. And sometimes it's like almost like polite pimping, you know, yeah. Yeah. Um, to 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 push the other person to make it more funny in a way. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think like I think it's it's one of those. It could be called one of those rules that for improvisers, for the most part, you need to push them away from it so that they develop the skills to handle those moments and not move out of fear um, until they get a, it's, you know, until they can break that rule. Yeah. Learn the rules so you know when and where to break them. Yeah. Okay. And, and then you can do whatever you want. Like, you know, I, Dr. Fantastic is a great team that, you know. Is that DC? Yeah, DC. Okay. And some of the funniest shows I've ever seen and these guys would, you know, <laughs> someone would edit a scene and they'd be like, no, I'm like, no, I wasn't done with the scene and call each other out that way. And yeah. that's like, the brilliant use of like yeah. meta and just they, they were just and that was just like total confidence and you know trust in what they were doing and yeah. very satisfying okay um yeah uh yeah the closest I've been there was this year's uh, Olympics I've watched actually more this year than any other year probably combined that's a lot, yeah. yeah. I think I watched a lot of the Olympics when I was a kid. You know, the first winter or summer Olympics that you're, like, conscious for. You're like, well, what? Yeah. You know, <laughs> what's going on? Yeah. And I probably, you know, being a child with nothing else to do, I think I watched a lot then. But I've been, yeah, it's been a lot of fun. That was never something where my dad was like, you need to watch this. <laughs> you need yeah. to watch this dive. Greg Luganis is going <laughs> to smash his head. <laughs> <laughs> Be prepared. <laughs> You're going to learn about HIV. Oh, great Luganish jokes, everybody. Uh, in the interest of full disclosure, yeah. uh, Nathan and I have been enjoying a few woodchuck hard ciders. They better send you like a 
a case of hard hard cider now. Yeah, uh, that's right, everybody. Woodchuck <laughs> hard cider. When you're doing a podcast and you're kind of nervous if the person's gonna talk. Uh, Just one one <laughs> one case. Woodchuck. Yeah, woodchuck. I will cut. You know what? I wonder if they have a Twitter. Yeah, everybody's I bet they got do. a Twitter. They have a Twitter. Yeah, uh, I will follow them on Twitter. Copy them on that. Uh, tweet this out to them and hopefully get a year supply. <laughs> you know, a week supply. <laughs> a a night supply. <laughs> yeah, a cider. <laughs> a coupon good for one, <laughs> one cider. cider. At a bar in where are they from? Vermont, Middlebury, Vermont. Okay, not far. I'll no, drive up and far. get it. Uh, yeah, so we've been enjoying some 802 Woodchuck Hard Cider, and it's, uh, it's pretty good stuff, and, uh, this is a cider cast, everybody. I'm about four or five in, I think. I'm falling behind. This is number three. Yeah. Getting started. I'm about four I or five cider. in. cider. Cider's so refreshing. It is. In it Franklin, is. my hometown, the big, the big event, which will bring in upwards of 50,000 people. Which is 99.9% of the town. <laughs> which is, yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah. Applefest. 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 Yep. Uh, every time I go to Acme, mm-hmm. I... I'm disappointed? Well, here's the deal. <laughs> yes, I am disappointed, yeah, me too. actually, because every time I go there, first of all, the prices are too high. Acme will not be sponsoring no. this podcast. <laughs> I will copy them on this, and they will give me a they year supply yeah. of get the fuck out of here. <laughs> um... So yeah, I go to Acme, and I go to the produce section, because over this last, when, when, when the, I was going to say, when did January start? <laughs> <laughs> over this last January, it's been nine months. <laughs> oh, Jesus. What's that? The last summer? The last, uh, no, no, summer no, started? since the beginning of this year, okay. is what I'm going for. <laughs> since All the right. beginning of All this right. year, I have... Uh, tried to cut back on some of the things that uh, are unhealthy because okay. I, I'm, yeah. ter- I'm terrible. Uh, uh, my diet is terrible. Yeah. Ooh, yeah. Um, I cut back on Pepsi. I, I used oh. to be four cans, maybe three, three to five cans a day. Really? Now I'm maybe wow. two to three a week. That's a, which is that's massive. Pretty, yeah, massive. That's yes, absolutely. Uh, thank you. Uh, <laughs> uh, and I'm also now cutting Your back on. Self control is impressive. Yes, I've also started cutting back on uh, fast food as a result of uh, Chick-fil-A doing their thing because I I work down in the South Philly Best Buy. Uh, Best Buy, if you need any electronics... (laughs) They're not going to sponsor. They're like, we give you a paycheck. No, they they don't have the money to sponsor anybody right now. Oh, I believe it. Gloom and doom in the Best Buy world. Uh, So, yeah, so I I work down at the South Philly Best Buy. So you went to Chick-fil-A a lot. I went there a lot, and uh, yeah. It, when I, I had I my corporate job, it was every Friday for lunch we would go to the King of Prussia Mall and get Chick Fil A. It's that spicy chicken sandwich for me. See, no, for me it's the uh, the extra large nuggets, twelve nuggets or whatever it is with yeah. waffle fries. Oh, waffle fries, amazing. Yeah. What annoys me is that why they don't have spicy chicken nuggets. That's a good point. It doesn't make any sense. It really does. So good. Just uh, cut see, up I a never, patty. I never had the spicy chicken sandwich, Ooh, so I don't even well, know what you're talking about. I would tell you to go, but... but don't go. <laughs> don't, don't go. Do not go to Chick-fil-A. Well, that's how it started. Is, uh, uh, all of this, uh, even before it really reached a sort of fever pitch. Yeah. This whole as soon Chick-fil-A as I heard it, I was like, oh, crap, I can't go. Yeah, exactly. Because uh, I actually started, like, I haven't gone in years, and then in the last six months, I was like, 
there's one right over there. And I yeah. made my, my girlfriend try it. And she had never eaten it before. And I was like, isn't it so good? She's yeah. like, yeah, it's pretty good. Yeah. And, you know, then this stuff happens. Yeah, and then Steve Kleinedler, which we'll get to in a, in a minute or ten, uh, posted something about the Chick-fil-A founder saying that he was anti-gay marriage, anti-same-sex like marriage. Gay people or something. Um, and then also said that the, I think it was the, the Westboro Baptist Church has, uh, what's up, man? Uh, has come out in support of that. And the Westboro Baptist Church, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, wait, is that the church that protests all the funerals? Yes, uh, that yeah, protests right. soldiers' funerals and, right. and all that stuff. So oh, you've you got them coming out against it. You know what blows my mind? Think about... The amount of resources and energy my God. behind what those people do. Yeah. And if all that like, sign making? Yeah, all the, <laughs> how many markers have been wasted? The poster board? Yeah. Come on. If Sharpie had any idea yeah. <laughs> If Crayola my point exactly. I'm yeah. glad you got right to the heart of what I was trying to say. Marmack. Uh, see this is how you know when I've had a, a few ciders and people, <laughs> is that laugh. I've talked about it on the podcast before. Can you demonstrate it? I, 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 just, I, I, I just did. I wasn't paying attention. That's, that's all right. Neither have I the last hour and 17 minutes. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, is my laugh, more often than not, is... <laughs> yeah. Which comes from years of Catholic school and getting in trouble for laughing. <laughs> uh, that's no joke. That's the truth. I completely um, but when Repress I, that humor. But when I drink, the, the real laugh... Yeah. comes out uh, and it's 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 free <laughs> we'll see it again we'll see it again you will hear it again yeah um, so I, I've been cutting back a lot on that's good on fast food as a result of that so I was like okay mm -hmm. well I won't go to Chick-fil-A what else can I not go to because right. it's saving me money also uh, which is what's that Philly Improv Theater I can yeah, <laughs> yeah if I paid to go there no what else be, did you cut back on well, the Pepsi, uh, fast well, food in general. Acme. Where's this conversation? Oh yeah, they, they had me. That's right. Uh, <laughs> apples. <laughs> you had Apple. <laughs> Bringing it back to Apple Fest. You had Apple Fest. Yeah. Uh, so I'm trying to get a little more healthy. Mm -hmm. So I would go to Acme, Acme. and they would have these um, apples. Uh, yeah, these, these things called apples. <laughs> <laughs> and it was uh, this particular brand that I really caught on to. Okay. Uh, really latched onto called Panada. Panada flavored okay. apples. I don't know. Yeah. Flavored apple. I don't know what it is. I'm not up on the health stuff. Uh, nature <laughs> at large. Um, and it was, they're, they're really good. Yeah. But as with anything that I tend to really like, it disappears. It might be a seasonal thing though. But they might, yeah. Right? They're, right. It's it may very seasonal. well be seasonal. And they'll be back. I hope so. I haven't or maybe the since. people who uh, made you know grew those apples maybe I don't know they their entire or orchard burnt down or something. That's a terrible <laughs> thing. That's the only apple. They'll never be back. No, they were so good. I would cut them up. I would take them to work, and I'd oh yeah yeah, and it was There's a lot of different flavors with different apples. There is yeah. And, and as I, soon as you find like you find something you like, and other stuff isn't as good, I, 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 get, I feel your pain. I get. Uh, I, I hone in on a particular like I gave food. Up, I gave up pop. So that's what we call it, Franklin. Not soda. We call it pop. Really? Yeah. How far west is that? Uh, it's about 45 minutes from Ohio. 
But it's in PA. It is in PA. Yeah. It's yeah. about an hour and a half north of Pittsburgh. Okay, that's, that's west enough to be pop, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was pop. All right. Jeez. Uh, we got a little carried away there. Uh, and by we, I mean me. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, it's your so show. It's your show. You were talking about... Uh, you talked a little bit about improv philosophy and, and Mayor Karen. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what what happened to lead you to first of all direct Mayor mm-hmm. Karen? Um, God, <laughs> I think I think Greg contacted me and said, you know, we're starting two new teams or you know some new teams and we cast them. But we have a whole bunch of players that weren't cast who are still good. So we have, like, the last people. Do you want to put a team together, maybe? <laughs> <laughs> so when I, when I did, and I basically arrived, like, their fifth callback or something. So they were, a lot of the people were pretty, like, eh, maybe not disheartened, but they were like, we're, we're like they're still <laughs> yeah. calling us back, and then we haven't made a team. Yeah. Um, that was Asteroid. That was around the asteroid. Yeah, asteroid. Time. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Or maybe it was just your team then. I guess they were casting. You know, at that point they were just casting one team at a time. It was well. Yeah. Uh, I don't know how much of this I'm even supposed to say, uh, but it was supposed to be a fill-in, fill-ins for one or two teams. Right. Right. And That's then right. a new team, That's which was right. going, which turned yeah. out to be asteroid. Right. Uh, and I had particular things that I was looking for, as everybody you know, yeah. to whoever's picking team members does. Yeah. Uh, and then there was a lot of really good people that very well could have been on Asteroid, yeah. but just were had played different roles or whatever that right. I wasn't necessarily looking for. I mean, that's the thing about putting together a show is, you know, and being an actor, you, whenever you don't get a part, there's so many factors that go into it um, that you can never, like, take it personally, you know. Yeah. yeah, so Greg asked me if I wanted to direct, and I think at that point... You know, I wasn't doing much improv. I think, you know, Rare Bird Show had pretty much shut down. I was yeah. teaching some classes. And it that, at that point, seemed like a nice way to, you know, like you, you learn by teaching a lot. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I just felt like it would be uh, a great way for me to develop my understanding of improv, you know, through trial and error. Yeah. Um, yeah, so that's, that's kind of how that came about, I guess. Okay. How did you go about, because uh, you still had callbacks, right? I, I invited some, I invited like one or two people that I, that hadn't been through any auditions yet, that I knew I wanted on the team. Just friends from other worlds that I just kind of wanted to bring in. Uh, actually, it was just one person. Um, <laughs> actually, it was nobody. <laughs> yeah. Actually, and I'm just making shit up. Yeah. Um, and I went to, you know, I went to their one, I think I just did one audition, you know, there was maybe 12 or 15 people that had made it through to that point. And, you know, I, I wanted so many of them. And there's a lot of really funny people available. And yeah. yeah it, was, it was kind of a tough decision. So, yeah. yeah. So how did you go about deciding? I just, the ones that made me laugh the most. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I don't know. I mean, I think I wanted variety. So, you know, if, even if people look the same, it was like, I can't have you both on the team, you know? Uh, the audience would be like, oh, they look so familiar, like, they look the same, <laughs> yeah. you, know, the, you know? So yeah. I, was trying to, I was trying to get different types of people, um, and people who had some background or some knowledge, and, 
you know, or just were naturally funny. So, you know, uh, people, and, and then just you think about the social dynamic of, you know, we want to make sure everyone's comfortable on stage with each other and not, there's nothing awkward. So right. a lot of, you know, auditioning anything is, you know, trying to be aware of that. Um, and it really starts to limit it pretty quickly, actually. Those just those few thoughts, you know, just suddenly you're like, you're out, you're out, you're in, you're in. And then it was a matter of just like um, touching base with Greg to make sure, you know, there were things that I was aware of or not aware of, you know, based on past experience with any of these people um, and going from there. So, because I think at the time we, there was actually a team shutting down, so we wanted to bring in some of those people. Everything must go. Yeah. So <laughs> Oddly enough. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was, you know, certain people who wanted to continue from that troupe who, you know, were definitely worthy or not. So, yeah. So some of the people I brought in without even seeing, actually. Okay. Uh, based on recommendation. Um, yeah, and then just gone from there, really. And, yeah. For the initial run, uh, maybe the first six to eight months or so, mm -hmm. uh, how did you take that team from a team of new people because FIT uh, is now just getting to the point where it has trained most, if not all, of its team members. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's true. So even back then, people have been through very few classes, if any, at FIT. Really? Uh, yeah, yeah, that's possible. I guess yeah. that's true. Uh, at Asteroid, there were, there were very few people that took a class at I FIT. I guess I do recall that like I would be in rehearsal with them, and they'd be like, oh, I'm in level whatever now. And I'd be yeah. like, oh, okay, you're taking yeah. class. That's cool. You know? Yeah. I mean, now we're at the point, uh, FIT is at the point where people who are teaching classes have graduated the program, which is awesome mm -hmm. to be able to say. Uh, so how do you go yeah, from true, a, a team of newer people and make a group of newer people and make yeah. a team out of them? Well, I think, like, you know, for me, it was... I mean, that's very familiar with how Rare Bird Show was. It was just like a whole bunch of people who yeah. just wanted to do improv. And, you know, what I like about, you know, which probably all programs do this and it needs to be this way, is that, you know, we had, a, a, we had you know, many months before we performed in front of an audience. So you had time to yeah. get there. So a lot of it was just kind of establishing a groundwork of, like, the basics, you know, let's work some basics and make sure everyone understands what we're doing, you know? Because yeah. some people were just naturally funny and yeah. really had no idea about, like, oh, agreement is that uh, in a long, you know, in a, yeah. it encompasses all of these things, not just, like, saying yes, but all the ways that you say yes. Um, and then, you know, the terminology that I would use, just, you know, getting that standardized for everyone so everyone knows what we're talking about. Mm -hmm. And then just playing with exercises, you know? Yeah. Um, things that I found useful, um, that I thought get to the heart of certain skill sets that you need to have. Yeah. Um, which I feel like we refined a lot with our rehearsals with the Rare Bird Show of like things that we always went back to and just seemed to always be good for you. Um, and then in terms of developing the show, uh, I mean, it was... The one thing I always wanted to do with them was just kind of give them... When I talked to Greg, I was like, do you, what do you want? Do you want this to be like a Herald team or do you want it to be like something crazy or what? And he's like, just not something crazy. <laughs> Pretty much what he said, like nothing super specific, you know? Yeah. Like we're doing a musical or we're doing, you know, like a bat or something. Yeah. I was like, okay. So I kind of just 
you know, kind of used the framework of a herald so that we started working on beats and scenes. Mm -hmm. And, but then in terms of an opening, I really kind of just left it up to what they wanted. Cause I, I feel like a group's personality, um, at least what I wanted to do with them is I wanted to make them autonomous so yeah. that they were kind of making decisions and I was just there kind of guiding them. Sure. So, uh, I think it's resulted in me being called like the absentee father, you know, <laughs> like I'm the guy who will, you know, yeah, yeah, I'll be at your soccer game, kid, and then I'll show up like yeah. maybe at the end. And then you, you <laughs> finally show up and you're like, I got two tickets here, who needs uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, Talladega exactly. Nights? <laughs> right, so, uh, but just kind of wanting them to, you know, what's working for them? What, what are they like? What are they attracted to? Yeah. You know, what, what do they enjoy? Um, you know, we've been working, and then that I would pick things to work on, and I'd be like, okay, so are you enjoying this? Do you want to keep doing it? Yes, no, let's try something different. Anybody have any ideas? Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, at a certain point when we were getting ready for our first show, it was just like, we need to just, we're going to pick something and go with it and do our first show. And mm-hmm. um, I think the challenge, though, is kind of what we were talking about earlier, is everyone wants everything to be now. And with a team, like, to make a good team, it's going to take time. Yeah. And I think people go in and be like, oh, we want to perform right away and we want to be awesome right away. Yeah. And that's not a reality. Yeah. You know, yeah. to be a yeah. really solid team, it's going to take time. Mm-hmm. And you guys are going to grow and look back and be like, wow, okay, now that's, that's why we put the time in. So. Yeah. That's one awesome thing about uh, Philly, uh, Philly Improv Theater specifically with the, the house teams, yeah. uh, that they're given that time. Right. Now, coming from uh, in Chicago at I.O., <laughs> that team might last two months. Really? Is that... Yeah. Just, that's two, like Two to three months, and you're having bad shows, you're out of there. Yeah. Um, because it's such, a, it's such a machine, and that's just how it is, because they know that there's going to be people, good people, right behind those people, and maybe they'll pick two or three of the people from that yeah. crushed team and put them on something else. I mean, that keep, really just boils yeah. down to, like, you know, how many people do you have to pick from? Right. And it's great, you know, I mean, you can look at it both ways. You can look at it and be like, well... I mean, they have the talent because there's so many people going through. There's guaranteed. It's guaranteed you're going to have some talent, you know, coming through right behind. So you can bank on that. Yeah. But here, I guess you get you get developed more, which is good. Yeah. Okay. Uh, now, Mayor Karen has undergone some changes since the original lineup. Yeah. Uh, much like the Phillies have in right. the. Uh, yeah, the, we sold some the players. The Philly Stadium. Uh, <laughs> call back to the Philly Stadium <laughs> uh, way back when. Uh, so, yeah, there's been a, a bunch of changes. How have those, do you feel, do you feel that those have affected the look and feel of the team? Uh, the playfulness that you originally set up? Uh, can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, I mean, I think, I think you get into the whole conversation about sizes of teams again because as soon as you have eight people, four people will show up regularly, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And then the other four will kind of, like, transfer in almost. Yeah. And people are busy, and, you know, scheduling is very difficult. Um, Rare Bird Show worked because we had three people, and it was only three schedules. As soon as you had eight yeah. people, like, you just have a right. problem. Um, so, as soon as, you know, so then you're like, okay, we have eight people. We need to have at least six of you there for a show, you know? And then... And, uh, and then you're like, well, maybe we should have more people, and it just, you know, kind of becomes complicated. Yeah. But the, the feel and look of the team has definitely changed. Um, everyone, that's what's great about improv, is everyone brings themselves and their stuff to it. So, mm-hmm. 
Um, I, I think like uh, what's been great is, you know, I, I love the players we started with. They were wonderful players. Um, uh, but Philly in general, the talent pool just keeps on getting better. Yeah. So Absolutely. by the time we're pulling in new people, you get to pick from a better, better crop. And yeah. I mean, we've been together over two years. How long has it been? Uh, it is two years. It'll be two years in October since the official debut. Okay, so but it's over two years yeah. since the formation. So it's like two and two, almost two and a half, like two and a half years almost yeah. of being together. Yeah. So you know, two and a half years since when we originally put the cast together. There's just so many more players in Philly, so many more talented people, so that when you bring in more people, you're bringing like a higher higher potential right away. People yeah. who have experience in more, so many independent teams and people just doing their own thing that way. Yep. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm really happy with what we have right now. It's just, it's, the teams, the team, the players who have been there from the beginning have just gotten better and we've been able to bring in stronger players as a replacement, so. Okay. Uh, and where did Mayor Karen get its name? Oh, God. <laughs> I did this terrible, and I'm going to say terrible because that's what, they would say, uh, bracket selection of names, where I was like, we're going to do a bracket. And I'm not even a sports guy, but I was like, you know. I Who mean, works at the Philly Stadium. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. Um, so I was like, it was one of those things where I think Karen kept on coming up in his show, and then someone tagged Mayor on the top of it, and kind of just hung around, you know. Um, and there were other ideas that came up uh, here and there that people would jump on, but it was, you know, you're trying to get eight people to agree on something, like, yeah. just really, just a hassle. And then, I think the bracket system that I put into place, when you have eight people and you're sending out emails and you're trying to get everyone to reply and you're trying to narrow it down and then people getting pissed, like, it's just, it was a nightmare. Yeah. Um, by the time we voted, I think, like, everyone was kind of like, ah, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it was really... This is a terrible process. So, but, you know, that's our name. Okay. <laughs> that's what it is. Okay. Uh, I, moving on for the moment, uh, had the pleasure of directing, coaching you in yeah. Punchline. Yeah. Uh, how was that experience for you? Because we never actually really talked about it. And... Uh, Hopefully it was a good one. That <laughs> was terrible. It was absolutely no, terrible. It was the worst no, improv experience. The, no, it was great because uh, I think that, that was kind of filling in my where I wasn't when I wasn't doing much improv. Um, and what I was excited about because one of my uh, one of the first teams that I saw at a festival that I just automatically fell in love with was uh, the Reckoning. Yeah, um, I saw this incredible show down at Dirty South Improv Festival. The sure. first year we were there, and it was like it was literally like twelve or fifteen of them were on stage yeah, at the time, and uh, it was like the most impressive show I had seen it to yeah. date at that point. Um, and I've seen them you know, a few times since then, but just like that show alone, I still reference because it impacted me so much. Their use of organic transitions and like you know, which is a technique that I think can be when done well is so brilliant. Yeah, you know, but it's it's like a keto, I think, where it has a steep learning curve, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. Uh, but I was very excited to try it. Um, and 
yeah, it was a lot of fun. And knowing that you were inspired by them as well and like loved Absolutely. them and coming from Chicago, it was a great, it was, I was really excited to work with you. And then also the people that you cast, that was really exciting too. Yeah. Um, uh, punchline for anybody who doesn't know is now two years ago. Yeah. Which is kind of weird. Um, was an organic improv, uh, an improv, what I call an improv show with an organic engine. Well, what um, was, you know, what was funny actually, uh, to reveal some stuff that I haven't really ever talked about was my original goal with directing a troupe was to do organic specifically, like to do a reckoning show. Uh, excuse me, but my original goal <laughs> When directing Asteroid, right, was to do so then, an organic thing. As soon as I started, I think I think Punchline started right when Mayor Karen started, and the first rehearsal I was just like, "Well, fuck, I can't do this now." So that's kind of where I how I looked at it. I had planned on going from Punchline, and then kind of uh, parlaying that into uh, Asteroid, mm-hmm. and kind of getting yeah. them going, and that's that we were headed down that road. Right, and then Kristen comes along. I know. So then, yeah, exactly. Then, then I go to who was also in Punchline. Yeah, by she the was way. in Punchline, and then I joined Zalgao. And by that point, I was like, Punchline was far enough in the past, and they start pushing Mayor Karen into <laughs> organic stuff more. Yeah. And then she's like, "This is what we're doing," and I'm yeah. like, "Fuck, son of a bitch, I can't do this now again." Yeah, but uh, but the the thing I realized about Mayor Karen though is that, you know, because I did push, I do still sometimes push organic stuff on them. Yeah. And a certain number of them roll their eyes. Yeah. <laughs> and they're they're just like a more verbal team. Yeah, like absolutely. You know, and I just realized yeah. that they, they were resisting it enough that I was like, well, you just got to play to their strengths. They're, yeah. Which has been great. Which was, I mean, the exact feeling as I was going through with Asteroid. Now, we still yeah. do some sort, some sort of organic transition sort of things. Right. But I've since kind of tailored them to the, the fun and feel of the team. Right. So the transitions are really dumb. A lot of times, like really, yeah, yeah, really goofy uh, and playful, and right. not just wind blows and drum beats and pause right. here and do this and sort of sort it's really of stuff. The organic tra- organic transitions. Like the reckoning does them in a way that from the shows that I saw, where it would, it was, <laughs> it was performance art, yeah, and it it had so many levels of meaning that like just their opening, blew my mind. Yeah, and most organic stuff just doesn't do that. It is, yep. you know, tribal beats and like wind <laughs> yeah. blowing and yeah, like wind blows it's like oh you you're starting to maybe someday get to what can what this can be. Yeah, um. <laughs> and that was my goal with uh, with punchline. And I, I said yeah. that to you guys was. Right. Uh, by the way, you have kind of cat hair at the moment. I do. I do. <laughs> I do. I'm gonna put There's my hat laugh. on because I feel bad. Uh, was to show people, first of all, because there wasn't really anything like that happening in Philly. Right. Uh, and then the people that did hear of organic improv had this negative connotation of what it was. Well, because uh, most of it that was seen was just terrible. Right. So uh, So I wanted to show people that it doesn't have to be all wind blows and drum beats right. and, and shit like that. Well, the, the whole wind blows and drum beats and all that stuff, I mean, again, it's just like not... Not having good direction, maybe not, I don't know about not having good direction, but not, it's part, it's, yeah, it's part of it. Uh, not having the experience, (laughs) not having the, you know, the, the time in to do it. It takes, it takes time to do that well. Yeah. And also it's fear based. Sure. You know, so like if you're not a confident player and also comfortable enough to let the group figure it out instead of you figure it out. Yeah. 
but know that balance when you do need to push, mm -hmm. um, it's going to be bad, yeah. you know? And, like, the thing about, like, formats in general, like, we used to talk about this in Rare Bird Show a lot, because we, I think early Philly Improv was a lot of people trying to come up with a different format. Yeah. Like, something really clever. Yeah. And it would be a neat, you know, it would be neat. But still suck because the scene work sucked, sure. and really just like good improv comes down to like, you know, are you doing funny scene work, yeah. entertaining scene work? Yeah, you know? I mean one of, one of my sayings because you know after you teach for a little while you start to, to boil down all your speeches into yeah. sound bites. Uh, is you can put all the bells and whistles you want on a on a show, but if right. the scenes are shit, you've got shit. you've got nothing. You yeah, got shit with bells and you whistles. Got shit with bells and whistles. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna. And who wants noisy shit? Yeah, who wants it? Nobody. That's who. Uh, okay. So we, we, we brought up uh, Organic Improv, uh, which uh, we talked about how you wanted to do that with uh, Mayor Karen. I wanted to do that with uh, Asteroid. Mm -hmm. Kristen did that yeah. with Zalgao, which you are on. Yeah. Uh, how... Because you, you've been improvising for a good bit of time now, com especially in compa when compared to most of that cast. Right. Uh, how did you, first of all, decide to audition for the team? Right. And then go about deciding that, yes, I'm going to do this. Well, a few things came up, I think, that we've talked about already, just yeah. like putting in the time to do stuff. And sure. like, I hadn't been doing, I hadn't been, hadn't been performing regularly right. for a while, and I just, I needed to, I wanted to get back into a classroom, basically, and get back on stage regularly. Yeah. And thank God for Fit that we actually have that opportunity. Right. You know, that you perform twice a month at least. Mm -hmm. um, and Matt Holmes and... <laughs> the architect. The architect and uh, Kristen were directing new teams. And since I had worked with Matt for so long, I decided that it would, you know, be a good idea to work with Kristen. So when I auditioned, I just kind of put that in my uh, application that I would, you know, just prefer that arrangement. Uh, and it worked out. Um, so that's, yeah, that's pretty much how it happened. So, okay. I just, I uh, went to an audition. I, you know, I had an audition, so. How has the, uh, not that you're going to probably say anything derogatory, uh, but how has the experience been for you? Shitty. No, oh, no, Jesus, no. that's the opposite. No, Zalgal is, um, they're such lovely people. I've had a wonderful time being with them. And Who's your favorite? Um, <laughs> if I have to pick, I'm going to, I'm going to pick silently. Okay. It's. Oh, that is exactly who I thought it would be. Yeah, exactly. So, um, well, obviously, I sure mean, to say. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, no, you know, I would I would say the only thing that's been challenging. Uh, I, I mean, what what was great is like I I specifically wanted to work with Kristen because she's had a lot of training in things I haven't had training in. So she brings in a lot. She's so uh, aware of like you know, trying to expand your palette of experience. So she's always bringing new exercises and ideas, and I, I just love that, and I knew I'd benefit from that. So mm -hmm. that's that's the big reason why I wanted to work with her. Sure. Um, and she and that was definitely the case. Um, if there was any, like, drawback, it's that everyone was new players for the most part. Um, not that I know everyone's history, but they, you know, I don't think anyone had been doing improv as long as I had. Um, so everyone was really excited, super excited, 
the way you are when you first start something. Mm -hmm. And I, sometimes I felt like the old, like, nah, whatever, you know, this is like old hats or, you know. We'll be divorced in a year. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, you know, and for me, I was just, I was a little hyper-conscious of like making, you know, I was hoping that I was meeting the level of excitement that everyone else was. Yeah. Um, but then I realized, just, you know, can't really think about that because <laughs> um, that's just terrible. Um, but, you know... Just celebrating, you're off in a corner. I know I should be excited. <laughs> Yay! What, why is my heart dead? Sis Boomba! <laughs> <laughs> um, but it was, you know, uh, what's great is like, you know, playing with new people is always fun. You know, you, and I think you should always put yourself in a position where you're playing with different people because it challenges you. You know, yeah. if you play with the same people all the time, it can get very, you know, you know how group mind is great and you want to develop that, but then you can get into just like narrowing what you can do because you're always playing against the same people. So mm -hmm. playing against other people and new people is great. Um, and I had a wonderful time playing with them. So Do you feel like you can learn from newer people just as much as you can learn from people that have been doing it for a long time? You know what's great about newer people is they surprise you. Sometimes they're more willing to take chances that seasoned performers don't take. Yeah. You know, they'll just do something crazy. Yeah. And you're like, oh, wow. And, and I mean crazy not in a bad way. I sure. mean, just like it totally surprises you. And like you actually, I think that's also what's great about Zalgo is they have such, you know, uh, exciting uh, players who are willing to just go for stuff. Um, you know, so that kind of puts you in a place of like, okay, react to that, like figure out what to do, yeah. you know, um, whether, you know, you know, those things can be successful or not. And there's multiple examples of both that happen. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, so you definitely learn stuff. And then, you know, like, it's funny too, with, with Kristen, like she would start presenting something and I'll be like, well, I know where this is going. I know what we're doing now. And then, you know, she'll surprise me and something else will happen, you know, and, mm -hmm. Um, you know, I have exercises that I love to do and how I like to approach improv and, you know, I think it was Joe Bernard who I took that first workshop from, who I just, you know, attribute my first like, oh yeah, okay, I get it, a little bit. Um, at one point I, you know, she put a post up on something that was like, you know, always be willing to take classes. Like, don't think you're done training. Like, if you're, yeah. if you train too much in improv, go take a ballet class, you know, mm -hmm. do something. And, you know, yeah, I mean, you do, you know, I'll be doing, I'll start doing an exercise and I'm like, ah, oh, I hate this exercise. I fucking hate it. You know, and then I'll do it and I'll be like, oh, that was good because of this, 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 and this, yeah, you yeah, know? Yeah, so yeah. it's good like, to be forced out of your comfort zone. Yeah, absolutely. Like that was me with, uh, with organic improv. Yeah. Uh, there was one class, one, <laughs> there was one class in five, level five at IO with, uh, Pat O'Brien. Yeah. Uh, uh, name dropping a little bit, Pat O'Brien. Pat O'Brien. Uh, who, not from Access Hollywood or The Insider, from whatever he was on, but from uh, SNL now, and Reckoning, Reckoning fame, Michael Patrick O'Brien. He also does those Seven Minutes in Heaven things, which you'll probably see around. See, I'm terrible with names. I'm sure uh, if I saw his picture, I'd be like, oh, that guy. I will but, Facebook you. But I don't watch things. SNL anymore. SNL I used to watch. That's another show when I was younger, like when Dana Carvey years. Sure, yeah. Like, that was, you know... Yeah, that was definitely formative for me. Yeah. And still very much so. I, you know, yeah. yeah. Do you watch the new shows? Yeah. They're good? I, I, but I heard they're... I, they, I have a TiVo. I heard they're so, good I mean, now. So, TiVo tells me what I will like. 
It does. I don't need to think about it. <laughs> you just. I just said it. There's some stuff that's been said on there for like two or three years, and I'm like, yeah, I do like this. You're yeah, right, Tito. Yeah. Thank you, Tito. Um, but I had Michael Patrick oh. O'Brien. Uh, sorry. One more thing no, that I sure. used to like. Uh, politically incorrect. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Uh, on Comedy Central? On Comedy Central. Yeah, right. And then he moved to... Uh, ABC. Network. And then he got fired. He got fired for... Well, a lot of people say it was because of one of his, I think, 9-11 comments. It was, yeah, it was like the war. Yeah, it was the war, 9-11, a whole bunch of stuff. And he was, quote-unquote, right, from my point of view. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, probably. Yeah. Uh, I don't. I don't remember the specific. From my side thing, of the political spectrum, but it was it was out of taste at the time. So, sure. So they fired yeah. him. You're right. Yeah. And now he does real time, which I f- love. Yeah, it's great. Real time is great. Um, Michael so Patrick, Patrick O'Brien. O'Brien. <laughs> yeah. Michael Patrick O'Brien. Uh, it was level five at I/O. We were doing. He's like, we're gonna do this form called courtesy sleeve, uh-huh. which was very organic. And I was like, ugh. Because I had, up until up until that point, <laughs> oh. I, all I heard was bad shit about organic improv. Yeah. I went into it with the. Horrible attitude, which right. uh, Doogie Horner brought up in the in the last podcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, going into anything with a bad attitude, not a good idea. Yeah, not a good idea. Uh, not a good idea. In my best Doogie Horner impression. Before you did the impression, you were yeah. already impressed. Doing <laughs> yeah. an impression. I can not see a it. good idea. I can see it. Uh, so I went into it, and I was like, I was I was hating it, and I was I caught myself. Yeah. I was like, What are you doing? Because I went back to my level two training. Susan Messing, name dropping, uh, <laughs> who said, if you hate it, do it more. Yeah. So I was like, you know what? I hate this. I'm going to do it more. Uh, and I did it, and I did the shit out of it, and I fucking loved it by the end of that class. So from one That's class, great. I went from one end to the other, and then a year and a half later, I was directing a show with See, uh, you know, with that's great, because it's like, that just, and you get enjoyment from it now. Absolutely. And if you wouldn't have pushed through that, mm-hmm. um... Like that, that dislike came from your being uncomfortable with it. Fear. Yeah, being as you into mentioned many times. Yeah. Three, if uh, not that I'm keeping count. No, you better keep count. I and be afraid if you do not keep count. <laughs> yeah, we need to pause. So I'm gonna pee myself. Sure. Put that. Okay, and we are back after another short break. Uh, talk about a bunch of stuff. Jeez. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about Zalgal. Okay, you know what? Let me bring this up. I don't know if I brought this up before. We brought it up in, in terms of Mayor Karen from a director's point of view. Yeah. Uh, having gone through changes and how that affects the team from a director's point of view. Right. Zalgal has also gone through some cast changes. It has, yeah. Uh, how does that affect the team from a performer's standpoint, from a cast member's point of view? Uh, I mean, I think it's kind of, you know, it's similar in the same, you know, it's, it's a symptom of having a larger team. You're just going to, you're kind of going to, you're going to lose people. And, you know, certain people put a, they invest a certain amount of time in improv. Sure. You know, so, uh, and, and, and into certain projects. So, you know, getting a new player on the team, uh, there's always that. You have the transition period of just getting to know someone new, of mm-hmm. course, figuring out how they play and, you know, getting to know them. But right. I think it's the same deal, though, where, like, there's just a bigger pool of talent to pull from now. So, like, as soon as the new people walked on, I was like, oh, good, you know. Um, and Kristen was very, you know, good about finding talented people who you want to hang out with. <laughs> yeah. You know, who are, are good people. So, yeah. Okay. 
Uh, cool. Well, that'll do it for the Zalgao topic. Uh, Half-Life. Yeah. How did you and Steve come to, uh, first of all, perform together? So, Steve and I met during... He was in town for a Troika. Okay. And it was a Troika-sponsored thing that was, like, a whole bunch of people from different areas. So, I was playing with, like, Topher from D.C., who was on Dr. Fantastic, and I was um, playing with some... God, what was her name? I think it was Hillary from Boston. Okay. Everyone ended up going out afterwards, and we were chatting and hanging out. I was like, this guy's intense. He's very intense. And then he ended up moving here, and he was put on... <laughs> he was uh, he was assigned to shadow my level 200 class uh, for fit, which I just found humorous because he's doing been doing improv Forever. for way longer yeah. than I have. Like double, if not more, of the time. Yeah. Um, so we just started hanging out, and he's so... It was great because I, I led the class, but then I could just hand it over to him, yeah. you know. Um, but he was he was so gracious during that time period because mm-hmm. he he you know he's very smart and yep. has studied this stuff so much. And you know we would we do a class and then we talk a little bit afterwards, and, um, and we found that we you know saw things very much the same way. Um, and I you know at some point you know he was new to town, so at some point we just decided to meet earlier and do some scene work together before a class. And uh, we ended up doing, like it was just like different scene work than either of us had really done. It was very like patient and like really long scenes. Um, and But we both enjoyed it. We didn't really know what to do with it yet or how to like format it or anything. Uh, but we enjoyed it and then decided to do some shows together and they were just us doing improv shows and they weren't really clicking that well. Uh, and then he's a self-proclaimed master of figuring out what's good for a group and figuring out how to package what they do. And I feel like he did it perfectly with us. Um, and it just, suddenly we had this idea and it was, it was something that, you know, had come up a few times, like these, this like spy kind of like espionage and not so much espionage, but like, you know, the, the cold war era of just like the, the dread of something that's lingering mm-hmm. right there was really informing our scene work for some reason, for some reason. And, Putting it in that context just really fed it. Um, and, you know, so we just went for it and it was a freaking blast. I remember when he was shadowing me, um, watching him deconstruct a group game that was happening with these, you know, very new players who yeah. didn't really know what was going at all on at all and directing them, just like turning a scene that was like terrible into something that was really awesome. Yeah. And I, I just, in that, Five minutes, I learned so much from them. It was great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's the, the, the cool thing about Steve. He has been doing it for a very long time. Yeah. Uh, but he, he, he's taught 101s in that same style. <laughs> so, <laughs> so after I had him do the, the 101, I was like, okay, at least the two. At least the 201. Uh, probably a three or a four or your own level. Yeah. Uh, well, it's funny because he was shadowing me because it was more, I think the, the purpose of that was just to like, this is how we do it. Yeah. So you know. That's, yeah. As, but, you know, I mean, I think moving forward, just, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, I like the idea of shadowing. Yeah. Even if it's like, you know, new directors shadow old directors just to see how they do it. Yeah. You know, and just like, 
you know, yeah. that kind of sharing amongst, amongst teachers and directors, I think, is really uh, useful. Yeah. I mean, so. that's uh, exactly why, uh, because that, that was my decision uh, yeah. to have, and that was my, my thing. I wanted people to kind of shadow, as the education director mm -hmm. uh, of the Philly Improv Theater, I wanted people to shadow the, the class. Yeah. And more so even for him, because I know when I moved here, yeah. Uh, from somewhere else. Even though I'm from Philadelphia, people. <laughs> Hello. I'm from Philly. No, you're Chicago. I'm guy. not, though. <laughs> I'm, I was born and raised in Northeast Philadelphia. Uh, even though I'm from Philadelphia, I'm still, uh, I was still kind of seen as somebody else coming right. in and kind of getting things. Mm -hmm. Getting a team, getting, getting teach classes, oh, okay. getting yeah, this yeah, or that yeah, or yeah. the other thing. Uh, so I wanted to make sure that that wasn't the case, that it wasn't just homegrown people that had to fight for shit uh, and, and, and go through the training and the, the process and the procedures, and then other people could kind of just come in and, and do this. Yeah. Now, even yeah. though they kind of earned it uh, by doing other things, I wanted there to be a process in place right. for, for that. I mean, I think the most important thing is just making sure the opportunity of homegrown people is there. Yes. Because it's like any job or any business, you know, someone else has more experience somewhere else, they're going to be able to, they're more qualified for yeah. the job. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, when I first started teaching, like, I was like, oh, I'm teaching now? <laughs> All right. Uh, let me not fuck this up yeah. terribly, you know, um, and try and do it right, you know? Yeah. Well, I think that but, that, I, I, we brought this up uh, at least once before, uh, that moment, that time... Yeah. is now uh, for those for those homegrown people because right, we it have actually people is, yeah. that mm -hmm. like the two new teams that were formed mm -hmm. most of them have been through if not graduated the fit training program right we have teachers in Luke Field in Jess Ross in Mike Hockman yeah. who have graduated the fit program yeah uh, we have people that have been here for years that will likely take over uh, you're going to be leaving yeah uh, maybe one of those will take over uh, Mayor Karen, mm -hmm. you know, that's, that's a decision that has to be made at some point. Um, and then new teams that come out, I wouldn't very much be surprised if those did not go to people that have been in Philadelphia for years, if not graduated the FIT training program. Right. So and also just to touch on the, the people from outside, I mean, they, they have to be people who are really committed too. Like, yeah. I mean, if you came back and were like, oh, you know, whatever, I just want to take over and do this thing, or whatever, you know, but obviously you're like really investing in the yeah. scene. Steve is really investing in the yeah. scene. You know, it's, it's just a benefit. So. Yeah. Okay. Uh, let's see. Uh, what were some of your favorite, or maybe one of your favorite shows that you may remember? God. Huh. Um... That I've done, mm -hmm. that I've been in, no, that you'll do sometime in the next six months. I would say <laughs> one of it just jumps to mind, but one of one of our one of my so there was the show we did at UCB at Dell Close where Rare Bird show was like it was like main stage like five thirty or six p.m. slot and we were very intimidated by you know being on main stage with a great time slot. We were like yeah you know the hour leading up to like the whole night starting up so the it was packed. Sure. Um, and we had a great show. Like That was really wonderful. Um, you know, it was just like kind of that undue pressure you put on yourself of like being, 
in the house of Dell or whatever, you know, yeah. whatever. Yeah. Um, I mean, this picture was like behind us. Yeah. This four by eight foot picture or whatever. <laughs> this face. Um, <laughs> there. I mean, there's been a lot of shows. Um, it's hard to say. Jeez. Uh, definitely punch punchline. <laughs> of course. <laughs> every punchline show. Every punchline show. There, you know, there was a show. Let me think. You know, we also. Just to reference UCB again. Um, Please do. We were at Baltimore. UCB, the Upright Citizens right. Brigade, doing shows in New York <laughs> and LA. We were in Baltimore doing a festival a couple years ago. The Boggled. And UCB Tour, this is so competitive, but UC, UCB Tour Co. was after us. We were opening for them. Um, after was, who? After Rare Bird Show. Rare Bird Show, okay. And it was, you know, Matt and Alexis and I, and mm-hmm. their air conditioning had broken. And it was a big theater, big, you know, stadium seating, like two or three hundred seat house. Mm-hmm. It was really a big yep. theater. And it was hot. Yeah. It was really hot. And I think it was Alexis, I think it was her, it was just like, don't reference how hot it is. Yeah. Let's just do the show. Yeah. We went out and we killed. We killed. It was awesome. This amazing show. And then we got off stage and started watching UCB. And in their first scene, someone referenced the heat. Yeah. And it just deflated their entire show. Yeah. And the audience was like dead, just like thinking about how hot it was. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was just like one of those moments where just being aware of everything that factors into a show is really useful. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, we... God, I... I know there's a show that I'm... That is there that I... You know, what was great was... Uh, Fit or Philly Improv Festival Fifth, Fifth, uh, <laughs> which Alexis and I were founding producers of with some other people. Okay. Um, back in the who day. shall remain nameless? Who shall remain nameless? They are not here right now. Right. Uh, I think it was like the third festival we produced or fourth. Um, we had all the, the per- original purpose was to just to bring it out of town teams because we really wanted to show people in Philly who were trying to do improv like what's going on what's, elsewhere yeah, what's happening. Um, not to be like you know this is good improv but like just what other this people are what doing what else can happen yeah. and I think an advantage that Rare Bird Show had early on was that we went to festivals we went out of town to see other shows yeah. and it made us that much better sure um, but we had like, I think it was like Friday or Saturday night we did our we were like Rare Bird Show was like the 9 or 10 o'clock 10 o'clock show or something so it was like you know prime time and we were like representing Philly, and the crowd was just like right there behind us. It was just so supportive and such a great feeling. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. What about the opposite side? Uh, least favorite performance? The one I referenced, that uh, fringe show where it was really hot and we went 20 minutes over. Okay. That was pretty terrible. Okay. Um, that, and that was, was uh, Ethical Society? Ethical Society. It was our, like our first fringe run. Like okay. Probably 2004 or 2005. Um, and that just like made us go like, we can never let that happen again. <laughs> you know, this will never yeah. happen There was like again. a scene with, you know, I don't, I don't, even, I don't even remember. <laughs> just terrible. Um, <laughs> God, more shows since then? You've done a lot of, you, you mentioned earlier, bar shows. Yeah. Uh, what are your thoughts on doing bar shows, doing Bar prov. I mean, it depends on the space, you know. Yeah. Um, if you're able to have an environment where the audience can actually hear you and yeah. not be distracted by other stuff going on, that's fine. Sure. You know, I mean, we did a lot of shows at Fergie's 
upstairs that were, you know, Greg, I think was responsible for producing those. I think that's where they started, yeah. Yeah, this kind of the kicking off fit. And, uh, you know, those were good, you know. Um, But I've definitely done shows where, like, this entire half of the bar doesn't give a shit and the television is on and they're all talking during the entire show. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, venue... I mean, you want the uh, you want a certain type of space for any performance, and you know sometimes you get that, and sometimes you don't. Mm-hmm. And in Philly, you get sometimes a crapshoot with bar shows. So. Yeah. Okay. Uh, for the last few years, uh, you will tell me exactly how many. Uh, Twenty. Two. That may be two, two shooting years. it. <laughs> that may be too many. Uh, you've been the theatrical director. Of the Eastern State Penitentiary Haunt. Yeah, Terror Behind the Walls. Is that the correct title? Eastern State Penitentiary's Terror Behind the Walls. No, I mean, is my... Theatrical director? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's that's accurate. Okay. Uh, I held the position for four years. Um, I This is my first year not returning, um, knowing that I was planning to move. Uh, and last year was, our tw- the, was the haunt... 20th year anniversary okay which is kind of crazy it started in 92 their first haunted house show and it's their largest fundraiser they make Mm -hmm. a a, a nice uh, amount of money to help support the prison and the historic site which is incredible and I encourage everyone to go to it the day tour is incredible uh, and so much fun it's such a great space the first short film that I made uh, with Aaron we shot there um, the first like real nine production film we did there, which we'll um, get to. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, they they basically when I f- it was one of my first jobs in Philly. I was uh, uh, I went and I ended up being the manager of one of their zones. Uh, my first like in two thousand two. So I, think I worked there eight years over the last mm. ten or so, wow. uh, ten or eleven years, and. Um, uh, yeah, I, I worked there off and on. Sometimes I would have a play and not be able to be there. But I was pretty much always a manager there. And then uh, I had two years off and I came back and worked for a year. And then they decided they wanted to create this position. And they created it for me, basically. Because they, like, they had like a, like three guys who were kind of in charge. But when you're directing a team of like 100 actors and you have three different people giving them direction, yeah. it gets confusing. So... They created this position and gave it to me, and I held it for four years, and it was a really great time. Yeah. Okay. Uh, is there anything that's happened over those years that is of particular importance or super funny? <laughs> uh, anything any, worth talking about yeah, from Terry on the Walls? Yeah, anything in there that's. Uh, well, I mean, most of it's like. Uh, in Philly, I've, I end up hanging out with these different groups. Like, there's the improv group of people. There's mm-hmm. improvisers that I hang out with. That scene. Yeah, Philly's and a big cafeteria. <laughs> it is a big cafeteria. It's absolutely true. And my entire life is always feeling like, which table do I sit at? <laughs> and whatever table I sit at, I feel awkward, you know? So, uh, you know, for a while, I wasn't as involved. Like, I would do improv, but I would always felt kind of on the outside. The the other reason I wanted to start directing is I just wanted to be more involved because the people are so great and I yeah. and so supportive and such funny intelligent intelligent people are attracted to improv which I love and just you know creative people and um, 
you know, but most of the friends that I would hang out in my life, I, I met at Terror Behind the Walls. So, <laughs> which leads to a lot of like, yeah, I met this person when I was at the prison. Yeah. You know, oh, the prison, you met them at the prison. Um, but I don't know. I mean, it's, it's been great. I mean, I was basically in charge of, you know, 200 people there every year and, you know, helping theme the show. Uh, I wrote the script, you know, coaching and directing all of these actors and, you know, managing all of these managers. Um, and, you know, just being like quality control for the show, like the actual performance. Uh, so I learned a lot there. It was another situation where it was like, my first year, they're like, we're creating this position, like, what can you do for us? <laughs> uh, okay, I can do this, this, and this, and then trying to f really figure out how I could contribute for next year yeah. more. And, and a lot of it was just bringing my experience from, you know, from, definitely from improv, that's one of the big reasons they hired me there, yeah. uh, but also my acting background and just how productions run, you know, yeah. when should, you know, how early do we start planning things? So I was able to help them, you know, shift their schedule of, you know, everything needs to happen way earlier than you think it does. You know, planning would start with other people like two or three months out, but really you should be planning that stuff from, you know, six months out at least, yeah. you know? Um, so, you know, I, it was great because I felt like I was able to really help this establishment and uh, it's such a fun event. Yeah, um, yeah I don't know. How I has the it. show itself, like when approaching the show itself, because mm -hmm. you've done it for several years, how do you kind of, in an improv way, heighten what was done the previous year? Or do you even not, do you not worry about that? Yeah, well, it's, I mean, I think, you know, haunted, all haunted houses are different. But what's specific about this one is we have the prison. You can, you know, like, yeah. it's the biggest character, you yeah. know. So, yeah, sure. so it's going to be a prisoner and inmate theme. So you're kind of put into a theme. So every year it's how do you how do you change it enough to make it interesting for people to return? Mm -hmm. um, so every year a new section would be improved or changed. Okay. And every year we would kind of play with the theme. So you would adjust how how the actors are relating to each other and how they're relating to the audience. Um, but then at a certain point you realize you want to you, you need to build. You know every year you need to build up stuff. Yeah. So there's only so much you can invest every year so there you know it kind of needs to grow in a certain direction too so really determining that and then for me it was uh realizing that when you go through a haunted house what again we were talking about uh, one thing i mentioned earlier is variety if you see the same thing over and over again it gets boring and you become sensitized to it mm -hmm. so one thing that i really wanted to push in the haunted house was like this section needs to be its own thing and have a certain theme and a certain style of um you know characterization and you know you know, how verbal they are or not. Uh, and that needs to change each section so that as you go through, it feels like a new space. Right? So, and then, you know, and then that's, that's kind of how you do that. So, but I was working with, you know, like we would have, you know, I wasn't designing the haunts, you know, or design, I, I wasn't in charge of determining what's going to change for the next year. I could okay. put my input in, but, you know, sure. someone would be like, this is what we built. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What can you do? This is what you, you have know? to work with. Yeah. Now, and then as an improviser, way. like, they'll create a, a scare and they're like, what do you do with this? <laughs> so I'd have to, like, stand at it and be like, okay, well, considering the story that we're trying to tell and the concept we have, you know, what character could this be and then what can they say? So, and, and the best lines are always like, you're in the spot and you try something. What, what makes sense? Given the, given the reality, you know, 
what's the logic of what you've created and sticking to that, you know, so. Yeah. Do you have, have uh, since you're moving, do you have any input at all this year? Is there anybody that you're like mentoring um, or anything like that? They, you know, the thing, it's like such a big establishment, they're just, you know, they're good. Um, but <laughs> I'll, <we're> <laughs> I mean, every, you know, maybe once or twice every two or three weeks, I'll get a call or a, a text that's like, do you remember this person? You know, what yeah. was that? Or like, you know, this or that. It, the very minor stuff. I mean, um, I helped, you know, I, I worked there and helped them for a long time. They helped me by giving me this wonderful position. Um, but they have, you know, a lot of really talented people who are being groomed. So they're, okay. they're good. Uh, what is Real Line Productions? Real Line Productions is a video production group that um, I started with uh, my girlfriend Aaron Davis and my buddy Jim Dottillo um, a couple years ago. Uh, Aaron and I, we met at the haunted house. She was one of the managers there and we became friends and you know, she had done video production at Temple, um, and has made some of the craziest and some of the funniest, like, short videos that I've seen, like, sketch stuff that's just, like, off the wall, like, crazy, yeah. like, Tim and Eric inspired kind of stuff, like, she has, you know, just really crazy stuff, and I was like, uh, you know, at that point in my career, I was, I did improv for four years, and then I got back into theater for two years, pretty mm -hmm. hardcore, and I really, that was really great. I really enjoyed it. But I was like, you know, I want to make some more money. So I put my efforts towards uh, trying to get a commercial agent and trying to do films. And I did like a whole year of just like student films. Okay. Um, and as I was doing the student films, I realized, because you know, I was trying to build a reel, uh, I realized that I knew more than most of these kids, you know, and I could direct better than they could. And like, it was like, I just wanted to be like taking over. <clears throat> some of them, some of them were, uh, for the most part, there were some who were just really talented. The one, my one uh, film that I worked on, uh, he ended up winning the Kodak Award for his film, which is like the highest honor for a college. I mean, he was a grad student. It's like the highest honor for, you know, okay. this competition it was amazing. Um, highest honor, I don't know. It was like a competition he won, <laughs> Kodak Award. It was the highest it's, honor. It was the highest honor that you can have. Bar none, maybe Olympic gold medal. Um, so I was like, I want to do a film. I want to do some video stuff. And she's like, great. People talk about stuff and they never want to do it. And we just, we rented a camera and we shot this 10 minute film, uh, which we called number nine. Because we, number nine, the, the number nine was both of our favorite numbers. Naturally. And it, naturally. And it fit the piece we were doing, which we shot at Eastern State. We submitted to film festivals. We were like, you know, when I first saw the footage that we started shooting the one on our first day of shooting, I was like, this is crap. And then we shot more and it, the space is so beautiful. I was like, oh, this could be really good. We got in a few film festivals. Um, <laughs> we won an award. Uh, we submitted it to Sundance and we were like, well, well, we have to go to Sundance in case we make it in. And she had family in Salt Lake. So we, uh, we planned a trip and we ended up volunteering at Sundance for the last three years, which has been awesome. But we did that piece, and then uh, my friend Jim, you know, watched it and liked it, and he had a documentary thing that he wanted to do. He wanted to capture his, you know, his father's stories. His father grew up in South Philly, and he just has some, you know, it's like a rich history of South Philly, like what you think of South Philly back in the day, like yeah. these are those stories. 
and we were talking about how much it would cost to rent the camera for how many days and Jim was like, well, you know, like, let's just buy equipment. <laughs> and we're like, um, we have no money. And he was like, I do. I'll buy equipment. Okay. So that's kind of how it started. And since then, we've done projects. You know, we've shot weddings. We've, we just completed our first feature film. We just uh, finished our documentary that we've been working on for two years. And we're about to submit that to festivals now. And what is the documentary? <clears throat> it's called The Way to Kevin. The Way to Kevin? The Way to Kevin, yeah. What's and that about? It's about a guy who grew up in Philadelphia here, and he's a, uh, he was a minister, a mime, and a porn star. And he walked into a bar. And he walked into a bar. <laughs> a minister, a mime, and a porn star walk into a bar. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The, the bartender says. <laughs> right. Yeah. So it's, it's following Kevin, who uh, has a, had a career as like a... Uh, a gay porn star um, and he was gay and he was gay starting his own production company okay so we kind of that's where it kind of starts um, it's about an hour uh, I think I think it's going to do well it's we really put a lot of time and energy into this piece and okay. into this project and uh, yeah so we're going to submit it to a lot of festivals I think it'll do great at any LGBT festival sure. and I think it'll go beyond that too so okay uh, what would you like to be doing with Real Nine? Uh, where, where do you see uh, anything maybe leading into the future? Yeah, I mean, we you know we just we have some creative projects that we've done. We've done some like you know for work you know for pay kind of jobs, um, and we're we're actually courting some contracts right now, so we might have you know some like you know just to get some money kind of like marketing stuff. Um, but I mean, for me, I I initially wanted to do it to do creative projects and that's what I hope it becomes you know it's, and you know what we're able to do with it so that's that's the ideal is to do creative projects um, but you know we're moving to LA now and you know our team partially is here so we're going to go through some changes and see what happens but um, I mean Aaron and I will keep pushing into what we do so yeah we'll see we'll okay. see I mean ideally I would like to have my career doing what I hope to do and want to do and then also be doing, you know, documentaries and whatever creative stuff that we want to shoot, so. Right. Uh, one of the things you, I think I remember seeing you guys film, I know I saw the live version, was Meat Man the Musical. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, how did Meat Man come about? Uh, Meat Man, uh, our friend Eric Zarinsky had this concept, and he, he's like done... You know, he's, he's like, done a lot of stuff with Real Nine recently. Um, he had this concept for Meat Man the Musical, which is basically, like, a meat man, a, a, a butcher, like a meat delivery man, and who falls in love with a vegan in the neighborhood with, with, within which he delivers meat products. Sure. So it's like, you know, Romeo and Juliet, basically. Ah, and he's, a, you know, he does, he's done the music for The Way to Kevin, a lot of our projects. Yeah. Um, and <laughs> he just had this idea and he wanted to make a musical and it's been floating around for a while and then he and Aaron became good friends and she's just a force of like getting things done. So as soon as he met her, she was just like, I want to do it, let's do it. Yeah. Um, and then it started originally as a film that we were just going to do. Um, Real Nine was just going to film this, you know, sh you know, 20 minute musical uh, and then at some point they were like, well, we should just do a live performance of it. So it turned into a fringe festival performance as well. Um, 
And, you know, it's we submitted to some festivals. I think we still want to submit it to some more. We It costs a lot to submit to festivals. And, you know, once you work on a project for a certain amount of time, then it's done. Yeah. Um, but they actually won an award for it. They got into some festivals in New York. And uh, it's a really crazy, fun piece. It gave me a chance. Like, I helped with the production. I helped direct the stage version and helped direct the um, the film production, obviously, and produced that. And was and, in it. And I was in it as well. Yeah. So it was a, it was like a, it was a very, uh, it was a great educational process on like working on a creative piece. Yeah, so. it was good. I saw it. Yeah, it actually it did time. really well. Like the, the content was enough to get some notice from like the weekly so that we got some good publicity. And, yeah. And, you know, the songs were really catchy. Eric just, Eric and Aaron, she, they both co-wrote it. Um, just, you know, really, really fun stuff. Yeah. So. Uh, you you mentioned something a second ago, uh, and by actually, second, lastly, Meat Man is just one of those things that I think deserves being workshopped, and I think could become like a longer piece and be really good to you know expand. So, all right. So for anybody looking to uh, <laughs> so if anyone wants to workshop, invest in yeah yeah Meat Man the musical Meat Man the musical. Uh, you had mentioned a minute ago about uh, Aaron. Yeah, and that's E R I N. Correct. Right? Not A-A-R-O-N. Yes. Because since I've moved back to Philly, maybe I became sensitive to it. That's Aaron, Aaron. Aaron, Aaron. Is the way people, the way people say it around here is very similar to me. I don't know what it is, but Aaron, Aaron. Aaron, Aaron. So, Aaron. Aaron. <laughs> Moving yeah, on. Aaron. Aaron, your girlfriend. Yeah. How, how long have you guys been together? A uh, couple years, I guess. We've been... Okay. Yeah. We'll leave it at that. A couple years. Uh, so Aaron, you said, is, is, the, is very good at getting things done. Yeah. Uh, which I think is at a, a premium as far as creative types go. Yeah. When you find someone who can... Get shit done. Because all of us are so good right. at coming up with ideas. Oh, yeah. So good at, mm -hmm. at just like, you know what would be cool? You know what would be fun? You know what would make this better? Right. Hey, what's that over there? <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, shiny. Something yeah. shiny. Uh, so finding someone who can get things done. How, to, how important do you feel that element is? I mean, it's very good uh, to have it so close to you. Yeah. I mean, it's... It's so important. It's tremendously important. Um, I mean, I think... And, it, and it's great to have have people who do that. You know, like, you need to find those people who do that. And not everyone can do it. Um, no. Like, I found with Rare Bird Show, like... Matt was the person who organized all of our shows and organized Fringe for the most part and set up all of our college stuff, like the any workshops we would do and all that stuff. and. Mm -hmm. You know, he got stuff done, you know, like, yeah. I just didn't have the, nor Alexis, I think. I mean, she, you know, everyone has connections and does stuff, but, um, yeah. I mean, he basically managed us, you know, and if you don't have that, you're out of luck, you know, yeah. so you need someone who's, who is, who was motivated and committed enough to do that, and, I mean, you know, I give Aaron a lot of credit, but. And I was always surprised when she would give me credit because the first film we worked on, she was like, no one wants to do anything. They say it and they never want to do it and you actually wanted to do it. And I never, you actually 
followed through and did it. Yeah. And like I was like, I never saw myself that way, but you know, <laughs> you know, for something I actually was, you know, committed enough to like yeah. get things done. So, you know, it, 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 I think it really just boils down to like people who are clear about what they want. You know, you have to be clear about what you're willing to invest your time in because you only have so much time. So yeah, why do you think it is that that so many people in what we do, uh, entertainment, I'm gonna call it that. Yeah, entertainers. Uh, entertainers are so not good at the follow through, at the organizing, <laughs> at, at, at that sort of aspect yeah. of it. God, I don't know. I mean. Solve it. I'm looking for an answer right oh, now. Okay, I'll give you an answer. So. <laughs> I mean, I think, you know, like there's, there's such a payoff to being an entertainer yeah. that all the dreary, like, work that you have to do is just so unappealing. Yeah. Come on, like, yeah. do you really want to sit down in front of a computer and, like, create a spreadsheet? No. No. Mm-mm. Right? You do want to really follow up, like, and call the next thing that you have, you know, the person that you need to set up the next whatever. But at a certain point, you realize, like, if you want to further your career and become better at something, like, I remember <laughs> uh, an interview with Arnold Schwarzenegger where he said that acting is 50%, if not more, business. And I became really uncomfortable. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but it's absolutely true, yeah. you know, like, um, but I mean, for me with Mayor Karen, I'm like, you know, oh, we got a festival, you guys take care of that festival stuff, <laughs> you know, like I try to, yeah. but you know, it's like resources. So like, you know, with Real Dine, like if you want to make something happen, you have to, you just, you know, if you have your team, you have to like split that stuff up or whoever has a, the ability to do it can take it over as long as they don't start feeling like they're being taken advantage of, you know, so. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. All right. Ready? Yeah. For the the Uh, challenge. Yes. I want to touch on why entertainers, I I just want to re-answer that. Sure. Because I feel like why why entertainers um, don't get shit done. And the only way I can talk about that is, I guess, from my own experience. And I think, for me, <laughs> throughout my life, a lot of things just happened. Like, oh, now this is happening, and this is great and fun. Yeah. And it didn't feel contingent on my choice a lot. Uh-huh. Um, and at a certain point, like, I think you realize that you need to, you know, there's only so much time you have to do stuff, and you just need to make a decision about what you want. Right. And what you're actually going for. And, like, the whole idea of, like, five-year plans and stuff like that, I was, ugh, just made me cringe. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so when I, I've like I heard about five year plans and no one ever asked me that once at all until uh, once uh, the brother of a girlfriend asked me that the first time I met them like the second question out of his mouth was like so what's your five year plan seems odd yeah it was a little odd <laughs> um, but I think at, at a certain point you realize like you know I have so much time that I can give to things in my life, like, what do I want to do? Yeah. And you just have to kind of come to that conclusion, which you have to give up stuff. That's the hard part. I think that's the aversion is giving up things, you know? Yeah. So, uh, how do you come to that? How do you, how do you, how do you do that? I think when you're between a rock and a hard place. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I don't know. I, I'm yeah. sure there's a lot easier ways to do it. No, I think we're in a hard place. Like it. <laughs> I think people will get that. Yeah, it will. It will lead many. Uh, okay, some questions uh, that were 
uh, submitted uh, were, um, <laughs> uh, I'm paraphrasing some of these, but how does it feel when Matt Holmes slaps you in the face? Uh, Mark Leopold. <laughs> Cathartic. No. Uh, fine. I mean, I don't know. Does this happen often? You know, it. the, the show we just did, which was uh, Matt and I with Maggie. Right, yeah, I remember that. Um, there was a scene that started, and he just, like, yeah. gave me beyond... It's, it wasn't a stage slap. No, it was it a wasn't. straight-up slap. It was a slap. And, uh... It was a, you son of a bitch. <laughs> and, you know, it's funny, because I've, I've done stage combat. You know, I've done, like... You know, you learn to, like, nap. You know, do the nap where you, like, hit your chest, yeah, yeah, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, like, you learn how to actually slap someone in the cheek so it doesn't hurt them. You know, make yeah. sure you avoid the cheekbone. Like what? Like Mo. Yeah. From the Three Stooges. Yeah, those he guys. He had a very limp. Yeah, you have hand. to, you you just like, you're limp and you like hit with, you know, your fingers and mm-hmm. you hit right in the sweet spot, which is like right below your cheekbone, yeah. like right above the jawline. And it makes this great little slap, you know. Yeah. Um, but, you know, Matt obviously never took that class. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I mean, like, you and I have, you know, I think like, you just... I don't know, it doesn't matter. It didn't matter, you know? My The only thing that went through my head was, like, I hope the audience isn't upset. Because I think for the audience, like, they want to see you take risks, but they don't ever want to see anyone get hurt. Yeah. You know? And they don't want to be uncomfortable. Yeah. You know, they're very... Like, my mom made this comment years ago, before I even really started performing. We saw some show or some performance, and she was like, I liked it because I felt safe yeah. in their hands. Yeah. I could trust them to take me through this performance that I knew they were it was good and that it's going to be fine. And like, you know, whenever you see someone on stage that's like unconfident or it's like fearful or whatever, or or you see a show where someone almost kills someone, mm. you're just like it's the God. worst thing for yeah. an audience. Yeah. So as soon as that happened, I was like, you know, I mean, there was you know a level of pain, um, but it wasn't like. Yeah, it wasn't anything terrible. Right. You know, I've had worse pain. Yeah. Um, That's the worst part of being an audience member for me mm-hmm. is fearing for not the character's life, but the audience, for, for, for the, <laughs> the performer's, the, the performer's life. life. Yeah, exactly. Uh, like, there are different groups that come perform at Fit or Duo Fest yeah. or wherever, yeah. where I'm watching the entire show and I'm fearing <laughs> for, the, for the person. Yeah. Uh, and I hate it. I hate it. No, it's, it's a terrible thing to do your audience. Yeah. You need to, like, protect them. Right. And you can, you can challenge them and, like, you know, <laughs> you know, take them on a journey, but they don't want to be, they don't want to think about you as a person. Yeah. And afraid <laughs> that your knee is going to be broken because you yeah. don't know how to do what you're doing. Yeah. So as soon as he hit me, I was like, I was fine with it. You know, I love Matt and I've worked with him for so long at, like, and we're just in a scene and... I think it's hilarious, mm-hmm. and I know that the audience is reacting. As soon as that happened, I knew they were all eyes were on me. How do I take it? Yeah, and you know it was it was a, f- a really funny scene. I I don't know maybe it was really I don't remember. I mean it, it was a it's successful a scene. It was a good show. Um, so you know it's just a matter of like as soon as I got hit, it was like you know react in a way that doesn't make this worse. Right. Yeah. So. Yeah. How do you again? It goes back to. How do you make that slap <laughs> yeah. look good? Yeah, exactly. And like, you know, if 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 something had happened where like I had actually injured myself, right. 
um, you know, that's a whole other thing. But, yeah, I mean, I'm going to bring it up, but Mayor Karen's show was for the, uh, the festival in Philly that we were doing, and <laughs> there's this ballet scene, and Alan Kaufman is, like, they're ready to catch uh, Michael so, Hawkman. Did you so see that? I, I did, did you think it. that Alan got killed? I thought or he his was back crushed. was broken? I thought he yeah. was crushed. Michael Hawkman ran at him and jumped into the air into the arms of Alan and like and I, I was like I I pulled my phone out and ready was ready to dial 911. Yeah, he collapsed like one of those little <laughs> things you hold in your hand. You press the bottom <laughs> and it like False. You, yeah, you yeah, exactly. Dashboard. Yeah. Yeah. He collapsed like an accordion. Exactly. Yeah. And thank God in a, in a he, he was okay. Cartoon. But that that was a moment of like I was in total fear. Yeah. Don't do that, people. <laughs> Don't let Michael Hockman <laughs> jump at you in any yeah. situation. No. Do not. Uh, Hockman's awesome. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he's big. Um, okay, this is from Greg Mon. May or may not have heard of the guy. Uh, what is your craziest memory before the theater, <laughs> before Philly Improv Theater, before the festival? You may have, you may, maybe you brought it up, maybe it was that, that show going way too long. I mean, that was just a terrible memory. <laughs> I don't know about craziest. Um, let me see. Craziest memory before the festival, before all that. Oh, God, I told this story the other day. This is it. I know what it is. So, Go ahead. Michael Hockman. Hockman again? Yeah. No, 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 not Michael Hockman. Sorry. God. Mike McFarland. Mike McFarland, okay. Yeah, who, uh... <laughs> so it was Mike McFarland, Alexis, myself, and I think that there, there may have been one or two other people, I can't remember who, but we were asked to come do a show at Molstice. What is that? There's, like a, a, there's a street called, there's a, a street in Philly called Mole Street, and it's a street right up, like above Market, it's like just like a, between 15th and 16th or something, or 14th and 15th. It's a really small, narrow, beautiful street. And they do two, like, solstice celebrations a year. And they had a... It was basically a block party in the middle of the day. People just get, you know, drunk and have fun and food and stuff. We were invited to do an improv show because they were having music and all this stuff. We're, they're doing the show. <laughs> and, like, some people were watching us and we're on stage and, like... The group of us really had never worked together that much. You know, we were doing other projects, so we're doing this improv show together. And this homeless man walks up in the middle of the day and walks up right to the edge of the stage and just starts emptying his pockets onto this onto the stage. It's like you know, like paper and trash and like you know, I don't know what else. And suddenly he pulls out a box cutter and puts it on the stage, and we're just like, huh? box cutter, um, so someone like. And he was, like, obviously drunk or drugged out or something. And sure. Everyone was just really uncomfortable. Of course. Um, so that was something I recently thought of. I don't know. Craziest beyond that. I, I don't know, nothing else jumps to mind. Did anything happen from that? Someone, like, casually during the scene, like, walked up and, like, kicked it off the stage so that it went underneath the stage. Just, like, knocked it underneath the stage. <laughs> Did so. he put it on there and then walk away? He, like, put it on there and went and sat on the curb. Huh. He just like sat over there. It he was, just needed a place to put his stuff. He just needed a place to put his stuff. He was putting down Including his flag. Including a box cutter. Uh, I'm hesitant to ask this. Uh, because of some stuff we've talked about before. Uh, Pete Rose. Would you say he belongs in the Hall of Fame? Or does not belong in the Hall of Fame? Well, he gambled, this right? This is from BJ Ellis. He gambled, right? He gambled, sure. Right. 
But what I mean, give me some statistics. Like, what did he do? He was like four thousand one hundred and ninety-two hits. Did he do steroids? No. Uh, well, I would say no, but they didn't really test back then. Yeah. Okay. Um, so he just, it was during his career, right? He, he was still played, playing? Was he still playing when he gambled? No, no, no. He was coaching the Cincinnati Reds. When he gambled? When he, when he gambled, yeah. And he was he was basically, what was the extent of the gambling? Like, was he just betting uh, stuff? Or? He bet, I can't remember if it was for or against his own team. Oh, so, okay. So if they lost, maybe he would make a lot of money and right. he was like doing terrible coaching decisions. Do they ever right. determine that his coaching no, was affected by that, his gambling not that I choices? Remember. No, 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 no. I actually don't really care. He should be he should be in the Hall of Fame. Yeah. Yeah. He absolutely should be in the Hall of Fame. I mean, like you need to honor what he accomplished and for and it has nothing to do with the man he became. Right. That's what I think. Yeah. Uh, especially when it comes to baseball, if it's baseball related. I mean, it's not like, you know, I'm not going to get into it, but like not talking about Joe Paterno <laughs> or, you know, whatever, right, right, anything right. like that. Oh, well, this is baseball related sort yeah. of shit. Uh, and uh, Greg Proops, this will be the third interview in a row. <laughs> Who I love. That guy's yeah. awesome. He was, he was, I was so pumped when you were uh, able to interview him. He was fantastic. He was really good. Um, he has a huge uh, Pete Rose chip on his shoulder. He talks about him any chance he gets, <laughs> gets it seems. Okay. Uh, yeah. And he keeps saying he's going to be going out to Cincinnati at some point, and then he's going to do this. At first, it was going to be the Philadelphia podcast. It was going to be the Pete Rose podcast. Uh, and he's going to talk all about Pete Rose and his achievements and why he should be in the Hall of Fame and so on and so forth. So he is not in the Hall of Fame. He is not in the Hall of Fame. Yeah, uh, he's, not, he's actually still, for the most part, banned from baseball because of... What he did. So you know what I think, like, who are the people who did terrible things who are in the Hall of Fame? I'm sure there's a number of them. Yeah. The only thing yeah. is there's, there wasn't science around to... Right. Yeah. I mean, because anytime you get into people in their late 30s, early 40s, who are doing things that people in their 20s and early 30s do, yeah. probably there's some sort of performance enhancing Well, the element. whole performance... The, I mean, that's just a whole other thing. You know, like, I don't know. I don't know. That's a whole crazy topic. Okay. All right. Am I right? I mean, like... You, yeah. I mean, right. like... I mean, because it totally changes the game. Yeah. Obviously. Yeah. You know, like, shatters records, you know? Sure. But, like, you know, just in, improvements in diet alone yeah. is going to help right. shatter records. You yeah. know, like, who determines where the line is? Right. And why? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, th th that line is going to keep getting... It's redrawn like keep with being every pushed. yeah exactly because yeah. we're gonna we're just hungry for people to break records as soon as like we reach a max people are gonna be looking for the next thing to push it yeah you know so yeah. I don't know uh, but as far as Pete Rose goes yes deserves to be in the Hall of Fame four thousand one hundred ninety two so. hits the hit king what's That's... an average hit career God you're lucky to a thousand really yeah Jimmy Rollins of the Phillies, is just about at, or almost at, and Polanco, I think, just got there, too, 2,000. Really? Yeah. And wow. Jimmy Rollins has been playing for over a decade. Polanco <laughs> has been as well. So you got to figure Pete Rose yeah. has 4,100. How long was his career? Oh, God, I'm not really even, I'm not even sure. I'll have my interns yeah. uh, check it out. Interns. 
told you, they don't like you no, they don't, they checking... Just keep on ruining things. Checking it okay. out. Um, all right. Uh, this is from Andrew Stanton of... Uh, what is he? King Friday? Uh, I hear that the reason you are so tall is that you are made from parts of dead men. Can you confirm or deny? Mum's the word. Mummy's the word. Got it. Uh, we got Pete Rose. Okay. That'll do it for most of the, the, the questions there. I have one last thing. Yeah. That is... You're moving. Yeah. You're moving to Los Angeles. Yep. Uh, in a few weeks... Yeah, uh, around a few around a few weeks. A few You're weeks. moving to Los Angeles at some point. Yeah, during the month of August. That's the plan, probably. Which could change, but that is the most plan. probably. Yes. Uh, why? Hmm. Uh, I mean, Erin and I have both been in Philly for about a decade. She came here for college. I moved here right after college. Um. And, I, you know, like, I think we were just both getting a little antsy and wanting an adventure, for one. Sure. But, I mean, L.A. was always kind of a, a destination on my horizon, you know, in my mind. And it just, you know, just never was happening, you know. It was, or it just, you know, it was just like, oh, uh, maybe, you know, I be wanting to do acting and wanting to be an actor, like, L.A. or New York. But L.A. specifically for what I want to do, just like something that was going to happen or needs to happen at some point. Um... And, you know, our f collaboration in film, it just kind of makes sense as a destination. Um, yeah, so that's that's basically why. I mean, so it's, it's partially, you know, it's career and opportunity, but it's also just like needing a change. So, okay. I mean, it's like a month after. <laughs> uh, I'm going to give it a month. I'm going to give Ellie a month. <laughs> Um, but like, you know, a month after we decided to go there, we were already talking about like, where do we go next? You know, <laughs> London? <laughs> London. Yeah. yeah. Right. So, um, yeah, that's kind of opportunity basically. That's, that's the reason. Okay. So. Uh, having been in Philadelphia, mm -hmm. having been in Philly for a decade, yeah. there are holes that you're going to leave. You're going to leave a hole as... <laughs> Director of Zalgal. I'm sorry, right. director of Mayor Karen. Yeah. As a cast member of Zalgal. Right. As a cast member of Half Life. Yeah. Of Rare Bird Show. Um, I'm sure there's. Are there people here in Philly that uh, do things with Real Nine? Uh, there are. Yeah. You're yeah. leaving a hole in the haunt. So there's. A, you, yeah. Yeah. There's there. a lot of there's a lot of holes. So how yeah. do you deal with that? How do you does that affect your decision to go or to stay? Uh, do you not just do you not care about that and just have to look at yourself and say, look, this yeah. is what's best for me. Time to go. I mean, I don't care about anyone else, so of course. Um, <laughs> no, I mean, like you, like I think that at a certain, it's funny. Everyone I've talked to about it has been like, oh, that makes sense. Like, go. Yeah. You know, I just ran into a, an actress friend of mine uh, the other day. Yesterday, I was at you know, at the gym, and she was there, we just ran into each other at the desk, and she's like, I saw on Facebook you're going to L.A., and I was like, yeah, and she's like a very successful actress in Philly, like, she's done some really wonderful things here, Yeah. and she's like, that's great, like, Philly has a ceiling, and like, you know, and I've heard that, and the, but the funny thing about Philly, though, um, that I think needs to be pointed out is that for, you know, years, I felt like I was doing more work here in Philly than a lot of my friends in New York, just because there was, um, 
you have to struggle harder in New York or, you know, I don't know much about LA, but from what I was getting from people in New York, like they're just like, everything's so much more expensive. And I, I spoke to some people who live in New York about this, where like Philly is actually very conducive to be an artist. The price of, you know, the cost of living is low enough that you can provide for yourself and then pursue what you want to do artistically. And that's what's great about Philly, you know. And, and and a lot of the opportunity, a lot of the things that I've done here in terms of like the amount of plays I've been was able to do when I was pursuing that, um, the amount of student films I was able to get into, and then like you know even some of the bigger projects that like, you know, even though they're not that impressive, are still like having you know something about them that's cool. Um, you know, it was because I was in Philly I was able to do that stuff. Yeah. Um, you know, it's it's it's. It's a little smaller, but it's big enough to give you so much. Yeah. <clears throat> um, in terms of leaving, you know, things, it's like, you know, you want, like, my whole thing with Real 9 was to really push that from Philly and, like, be successful that way. But as, you know, we go to Sundance and it's like, everyone we talk to is from L.A. And at a certain point, it's just like, well, you know, like, you need to put yourself where the opportunity is and... Uh, you know, again, you know, Aaron, who gets things done, she's like, well, let's move, <laughs> you know? And, you know, like, she, basically she was like, I can't stay in Philly any longer. <laughs> and it was like, where do we go? Yeah. Um, and that, that just, where we're at right now, L.A. just made the most sense in terms of, like, well, this is the time to push into that and see what happens. Yeah. Um, and Were there other that. options? I mean, for where we're at right now, the other option is New York. New York, yeah. And Aaron applauds. Anytime New York explodes in like disaster films, <laughs> so and New York is just like it's a large. I mean, New York, New York is very magical and special, um, but very practically, it's just like a more condensed, crazier Philly with the same yeah. weather. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So we wanted to, we wanted to change. Yeah. So that's why we went oh, to San Yeah, it'll yeah. be different. Yeah. So like. And, you know, the thing that I realize is, like, as important as I could tell myself I am doing certain things here or think I am at any point, which I never really do at all, <laughs> um, everything that exists is going to be fine when you're gone. And it is, you know. It's fine when you're gone. Yeah. So it's never, like, a concern. I mean, I think the real big concern is just, like, you know, leaving people who you really like and then realizing, like, ah, oh, I wish I would have spent more time with everyone who's awesome here. Yeah. Um, and just, you know, and then realizing how, how, yeah, how, how special everyone is here. So, yeah. Uh, for Zhaogao. Yeah. Uh, let's say you don't get a chance to see them, perform with them again, talk with them again. Anything you want to say? Uh, I mean, just thank you. Like, it's been an awesome, I mean, it just individually just such special people and, uh, when I first started announcing the, the improv community, I talked to Kristen and I was just like, you know, because I've already actually stopped doing stuff with them because time is very limited right now. So I have to do other things and, sure. you know, I'm keeping, I'm still directing Mary Karen to the end just because yeah. as a director, I feel like I need to do that. But, mm -hmm. I, you know, I'm really pulling away from everything right now. So I pulled away from Zhao Gao and, um, yeah, just, you know, it was just such a joy working with them and. Hopefully, keep working and have a great time doing it. Yeah. So, what about uh, Half Life, Steve? Um, Steve should come hang out with me in LA. Yeah. Sometimes. 
So you just have doing shows out there sometimes? Maybe That'd be great. We actually did our, like, what we... I mean, we... I think we talked about maybe doing festivals and stuff, and I just backed out of a festival. This weekend? Yeah. Is it this weekend? <laughs> it's, I'm pretty sure it's this weekend. Sorry, Steve. I should be <laughs> in Detroit right now, I guess. Uh, but, you know, money, when you're leading up to a move, becomes very important. And, like, we did a show, like, two or three weeks ago that in the style of our show ended up being chronologically the latest show and therefore kind of like the last show. And it was mm -hmm. just like such a perfect bookend to like the week, the show before was the earliest show we did because we've, we've kept what we develop in shows. It's like yeah. monocene. We kept all this stuff. So we did like the first, it was like in the like very early fifties. And then we did not one recently. It was like in the seventies. So it was like seeing these characters and you know, between these two shows from the beginning into the end. And yeah. it was, it felt like such a good closure. Yeah. Um, which was great. And maybe that will be the end, but you know, yeah. who knows? We'll see. You had one or two shows. I think the first show was a side show. Yeah. Uh, which was great. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, really the, the two it. shows, I think you've done two, maybe mm -hmm. at least two. We did two there. Uh, that were really good, real fun. Yeah. Uh, and Sacha is good about that. Sacha is good about having like a real fun. Sort of we had a great crowd, crowd, yeah, and like, they just they were, it, you know, it was that you mentioned it, it was like the crowd was just so there with us, yeah. You know, as soon as we hit something funny, they were just like ready for it, yeah. And that's that's so useful for a performer, yeah. Uh, how does your leaving affect Real Nine, or does it at all? Uh, it does. Um, I mean, I think Real Nine, to be honest, is kind of just kind of like dissipate a bit um i mean aaron and i are going to continue to try and do projects yeah ourselves um and maybe we'll try and keep it underneath that umbrella name but you know like jim was our partner and we were working with eric very closely there for a while mm -hmm. um <clears throat> he was like coming he came on as a you know potential partner and like did a lot of our music but everything's just kind of like you know when we move it just kind of things just kind of that dynamic is going to shut down a bit. Um, but Jim, he has like a, he works at Penn and like has a job and he's getting married and like he can only do so much time for us and like, you know, we want, you know, we'll see. We'll see. We really don't know. Okay. <laughs> we, we did these projects together and we're releasing a big one right now. So, you know, whatever comes of that is going to be spread amongst all of us, hopefully. So, What about Rare Bird Show? Uh, well, <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, it'll be, you know, two people in Philadelphia, it'll be two people in L.A. Um, and we always said, like, if there's two people in one place, we'll always do shows. Yeah. But that isn't reality. <laughs> I mean, everyone just does other projects. So yeah. the one thing we did say that I think is a reality is that, like, anytime there's a festival where we're all in one place, we will do a show. And um, we've said it to each other, and I still, I still hope that, like, when I'm 80, we can do reunion shows. So let's say there's a Philly Improv Festival. Yeah. Uh, would that then be you, uh, Alexis, Matt, and Maggie doing the show? <laughs> Probably not. Sorry, Maggie. <laughs> Although I have to admit, the our show was we had a we had a great we had a nice show together, but our rehearsal with Matt and Maggie myself when we were rehearsing was like probably one of the best shows I've done in a long time. Our rehearsal show was just like, it was, 
But it's funny because like you know an yeah, audience changes that fish everything. That we caught off camera. Yeah, <laughs> it was. It would have blown. It probably would have made everybody quit improv. It yeah. was so good. Um, yeah. But it was one of those moments where like, you know, working with Matt and working, with, they're both just so knowledgeable and good. Yeah, yeah. And you know, I guess without the pressure of an audience or like that anxiety, we were just like, it was just really magic mm -hmm. stuff was happening. Where it was like, it was the most. Um, it was one of the most uh, lean shows I've done in a long time. Yeah. Where everything mattered and everything was funny. Yeah. Uh, and the the team that you've been there from the start from, Mayor Karen. Yeah. Uh, how would your departure, how do you, anything you want to say to them or how they, you feel it would affect them? Uh, well, I prepared them by being a very absentee father <laughs> figure. <laughs> <laughs> So, no, I mean, you know, what's great about them is they're all really, they've been a joy for me because they all f just crack me up so much. Yeah. And every time I meet with them for rehearsal or see a show of them, it's like just a joy for me to watch them work. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, as Mayor Karen and as they branch out and do other projects, like, just, they're really funny people. They're going to be great. Okay. So. Is there anything, uh, that, anything else you'd like to to say anything any upcoming shows you'd like to plug um let me I, ask you this yeah uh august 24th yeah if you're available are you going to be around i don't know i think maybe yeah if you are is that a saturday you, it is a friday okay if you're available would you like to do a sideshow if i'm available yes well, let's talk about that. Maybe we can get you to do a Half Life. Maybe that, like, as a yeah, last show with, yeah, with yeah. Steve. If, yeah, something. Uh, I mean, that'd be cool. Is there I, anything beyond that that's on the horizon? That's uh, any parties, any shows, anything like that? I mean, I think Greg wants to do like a roast or something. Okay. Um, or I don't even know if it's a roast. He wants to like set up a show. With so. improvisers, my experience is that it it's less roast and more saying sentimental things. <laughs> That sounds really terrible. No, it was a good time last time around with Dan and Ellen. Okay. Um, but it would be f more fun if it were roasty. Yeah, I mean, I'll probably cry, but that'll be fun. <laughs> um, no, I don't know. I need, I need to talk to him and see if we're going to set up a date for that. Um, yeah. In terms of shows, I don't think anything really else. I mean, I, 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 I yeah, yeah, I don't know. Uh, the one, if things I want to say, though, like... You know, I do theater, I do film, improv, you know, all this stuff. I just think that improv will survive the apocalypse. Like, improv is a form of entertainment that, you know, you destroy all the electricity and <laughs> running water, and improv will survive. So, that's what, that's what I think is great about improv, is it will survive, survive the destruction of modern amenities. Okay. <laughs> Uh, well, it's been a pleasure to uh, watch you on stage Thank to you. Uh, with with Fair Bircha, with with Zalgal. It's been an absolute pleasure to direct you in Punchline, uh, to drink with you from time to time, uh, whether it be at O'Neill's, yeah, or here yep. for this time period. Uh, and it was a pleasure to uh, get to know you better than I better than I have over the last. Uh, Almost three years. I know, right? Crazy. Um, and I thought I knew you pretty pretty decently. Uh, so that's awesome. So thank you for, for all that, and thank you for, for getting close. Thank you. Thank you for all the memories. Thank you. Thank you. All right.
And there it is. Finally. Two hours and 45 minutes after it began, it ends. The epic Getting Close podcast with Nathan Edmondson has come to a close. Thank you for sticking it out. I'm going to assume that at least one person did, other than me and other than Nathan. Actually, I'd be surprised if Nathan listens to the whole thing. Um, But I'm glad you did. I'm very glad you did. As a matter of fact, I'm so glad that I'm going to offer you a free download at audible.com. That's right, folks, a free download. Uh, I get paid for each person that signs up for a trial. I don't know if I'm supposed to say that or not. But I do. I get well. I guess why else? Why wouldn't I be able to say that? That's the whole point, right? Uh, when there's commercials on television, you assume that they're advertising that that they get paid. That's why it's called a sponsor, right? Okay, I'm fine with this. I'm sure they're fine with it. I get paid for each one of you that goes up to that website, audibletrial.com/slash/gettingclose and signs up for a trial. You sign up. You get a free download. You try it for 30 days. You don't like it, you cancel it. You'll probably keep it, though, because it's pretty great. Uh, And I get paid. And I can continue doing this podcast. And maybe give it some sort of budget. Maybe I can travel around and use that money to uh, interview some people on the West Coast or uh, in the Philippines. I don't know. I don't know what I'm saying, folks. All I'm saying is that go to audibletrial.com slash close and listen to books. It's like TV, but just for your ears. Um, yeah, back to Nathan. Such a great conversation. Talked about so much stuff that um, I really very glad that he, gave, that, he, that he gave me the time. I don't know exactly when he's going to be leaving, but uh, it's going to be a sad time for, for Philadelphia. Uh, so once again, I'm very glad that he was able to to do this uh, for for me, for us, for Philadelphia comedy, for Philadelphia theater, for Philadelphia at large. Uh, I don't know who the next guest is going to be, um, but when I do know, I will post it on MikeMarback.com. That's all I have to say for now because I'm getting real tired and. Uh, yeah. Thanks again, folks. AudibleTrial.com slash getting close.